All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Welcome to Making the Argument. We have spent a few episodes now talking about something of the, the not only the crisis of uh, masculinity, but kind of the crisis between men and women in general within popular culture, within Western culture specifically. And um, Christian came across this article from the Washington Post. And it's one of the first times that we can identify someone on the left, someone more associated with the left recognizing that there might actually be a problem with masculinity other than just exclusively trashing men. And so the title of the article is Men Are Lost, Here is a Map Out of the Wilderness. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go through this article and we're going to take a look at how the left is analyzing this problem and whether or not the map they offer will actually get us out of a wilderness that they perceive us to be in or just lead us right off a cliff. All of that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument. Welcome to today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't already, I hope you will head down to the link in the description of this show and sign up for our community chat where we have discussions on each of these episodes, get your ideas for upcoming episodes, and overall have a great time. I know that I need to give an update to our 90-day improvement project chat. It's well overdue, so I look forward to doing that later today. But let's get right into it. All right, as always, I'm your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, a reasonably good guy. With us today is not my beautiful bride, Tina, queen of the bees. We've actually got some stuff coming into the farm that she has to be ready for today. Um, as you already heard, she did She did go through 70, she got 72 pounds of honey off of the last hive, and, and we got some more to follow, more to follow on that. But we do have our resident historian and political prognosticator, Christian Hines. There's a UFO hearing tomorrow. Oh my gosh, here we go. <laughs> By the way, we need a quippier name for uh, Christian when he when he goes out in public and he gets recognized. Like people, like they look at Hamilton, like oh the good Hamilton. They look at me and they just say Nick. They look at Tina, they say Queen of the Bees. But when they look at Christian, they don't say oh the political prognosticator and resident historian. So we need we need we've we've had some good good recommendations from the audience so far on his potential quippy nickname. I think there there's was a couple threads. Darth Doom, Scholar of Doom, it. all of that. So we'll keep doing that. You know, hey, we, I, I'm the, not done with the urgency. Now, hang on. Look at this guy. The, the, the urgency of it is actually there. I was stopped at a Chick-fil-A a few, like, like a couple months ago, I think two months ago, by, by somebody that I've never met in my life that was like, are you Christian? And I was like, well, Yes and yes. Uh, <laughs> and then they were like, I love the show, man. And it, it like hit me that like they knew who I was, but I didn't know who they were. And it was just weird. No, not weird in a bad way, but just yeah. I'd never that had never happened to me before. All right. So. so be thinking of names that we need to give Christian that will make it a little bit more a uh, little bit more concise. And then, of course, 
Our producer of producers, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. I, I think the last episode, last Thursday, illustrated quite clearly why I am the good Hamilton. Yeah. Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we talked a lot about Alexander Hamilton in that last one and did, did explain why yeah. Nicholas Hamilton actually has far better, I, I would say, political instincts in, yeah. in some cases. All right, before we get on to the main topic, though, I have got to recognize someone. So it's one of our audience members, uh, Deanne, sent us this note. So Dare Nick, Tina, and the other smart guy on the podcast, Christian, along with Hamilton, you all were talking about messaging in the arts arena. And you mentioned the art of subtlety. This drawing, original on my wall, was done in August 19. I was noticing the repetition on all three main local channels and the subtle advertising in the story placements. And well, there is my and here is my representative. There are other concepts I've done and more hopefully to come. Stay tuned. I have this print sitting on my desk. I don't mass produce the political art. The moment I heard your uh, conversation, I knew it was worth a shot to send it your way. And so, Deanne, I want to say thank you very much for sending us this. I, I'm going to classify it as, I mean, it's a piece of artwork, but there, there's a there's a comical component to it. It kind of reminds me of some of the some of the older school comics, which I thought were a mm -hmm. lot more there was, there was that subtlety to it. And what I noticed as I was looking at this, the more you read it, and this is kind of like a representation of, you know, the, the way the media kind of, you know, manipulates data and manipulates their watching audience and things like that. And the more you look at this, the more you recognize different details and different things that she added in there, which I think all of us can, can appreciate and relate to. So I want to say Deanne, just excellent job. Thank you very much for sending this. We really appreciate it. And I just wanted to take a moment to, to recognize that and make sure you got the, uh, the praise you so rightly deserve for not only applying your skill sets to something that is culturally relevant, but doing it in such a good way and serving as an inspiration to others that may also have the ability or the inclination. So thank you very much, Deanne. All right, let's jump into this article that Christian found a while back. And whenever Christian's like, hey, I found this Washington Post article for you to read, I'm like, oh, goody. Yeah, <laughs> I remember when I first told Nick, I was like, there's this Washington Post article you should read. And Nick was like, stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I haven't read the Washington Post. It's that I have read a lot of the Washington Post. I've been I've been featured in certain Washington Post articles, and I learned very quickly that um, let's just say they 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 haven't always been I, I would say overwhelmingly fair uh, with respect to the report. I've had a lot of people ask me like why don't why don't you talk to reporters because I turn down I, I turn down interview stuff or, or reporter calls a lot. And they're like, why do you do that? I'm like, if I need to talk to my constituents or if I need to talk to people on an issue, I'll go to social media. I, I can go to social media and talk to people and, and across across Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and YouTube, we, we've got, I think as of yesterday, we've got close to 1.6 million people that follow those those different pages. So I, I can talk to them. And oh, by the way, when I get to talk on there, nobody takes what I say out of context. Nobody paints it through a, a horrible lens. Nobody decides to add their own you know ideas of what my motivations were before they report on it. And so that's how I do it. But Needless to say, we still have to keep up with what various elements within the, quote, mainstream media are talking about. And this one did catch our interest. Um, it's I mean, a new Christian, article. It Christian, came out give us, two, oh, yeah. two weeks ago. July 10th. Christian, give us a little bit of insight on why, when you first saw this, it, it captured your attention before we kind of go in depth on the article. So there's going to be, if you're on the right, and there's a chance that you are if you're listening to this podcast, although apparently we do have some people on the left and, and people in the center as well that tune in. So... If you're on the right or, or even center right, there's going to be a lot in here that you're going to disagree with. There's going to be a lot. But, 
and there was a lot that I disagreed with. There were certain lines in here that I just cringed at. And there were other lines that, quite frankly, made me a, a little bit furious. But I do think that it is a sign of the times that this was even written in the first place. I don't think this would have been written five years ago. No. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think this would have been written three or two years ago. And the reason that I, I showed this to Nick was because not necessarily because I agreed with everything in here. I don't even think I agree with the majority of what's in here. But I needed to show this to Nick because this is the state of where the left is at, I, I think, in many respects. And like I said, it's it's really telling that they're finally coming around to recognizing there's a problem with a lot of young men in this country right now. Mm -hmm. And they're trying their best, supposedly, to articulate what that problem is, where that problem originated from, and what type of solutions could be offered to solve that problem. Yeah. I the problem is, no pun intended, that <laughs> I think they've kind of failed at every single step of the way. And and we're gonna get into that in this in this opinion piece as we go through it. But it just it just caught my attention. Sometimes things catch your attention even if you don't agree with it. You know what I mean? And well, and, and one the other thing too that we're gonna we're gonna try to do our best on is is give credit where credit is due. Because one of the most frustrating things about any sort of discourse nowadays is when people generally disagree on particular topics or, or whatnot, there's this idea that nothing they possibly say can be true or that nothing they, they can possibly say can be useful. And that's not the case. That's not the case. Somebody, somebody can be wrong 99% of the time and still be right 1% of the time. And, and, it's, and the reason why it's so important to call out what is right and what somebody says, regardless of where you stand with them politically or theologically or anything else, is because it, it reinforces this notion that, well, no, there is such a thing as objectivity. There's such a thing as truth. And if something's true, appreciate the truth for what it is, even if you might disagree with other elements. So let's jump into this. All right. So from author Christine Emba. She said, I started noticing it a few years ago. Men, especially young men, were getting weird. It might have been the incels who first caught my attention, spewing self-pitying venom online, sometimes venturing out to attack the women they believed had done them wrong. It might have been the complaints from the women around me. Men are in their flop era, one lamented, sick of trying to date in a pool that seems shallower than it should be. It might have been the new ways companies were trying to reach men. The average hoodie made these days is weak, flimsy, growled a YouTube ad for a tactical hoodie. You're not a child, you're a man, so stop wearing so many layers to go outside. Once my curiosity was piqued, I could see a bit of curdling in some of the men around me too. They struggled to relate to women. They didn't have enough friends. They lacked long-term goals. Some guys, including ones I once knew, just quietly disappeared, subsumed in video games and porn, or sucked into the alt-right and the web of misogynistic communities known as the Manosphere. The weirdness manifested in the national political scene, too. In the 4chan-fueled 2016 campaign for Donald Trump and the backlash to the hashtag MeToo in amateur militias during the Black Lives Matter protests, misogynistic text thread chatter took physical form in the Proud Boys, some of whom attacked the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Young men everywhere were trying on new identities, many of them ugly, all gesturing toward a desire to belong. It felt like a widespread identity crisis as if they didn't know how to be. What an opening. Oh, and I'm man. not saying that, praising all right. it. All right, let's go. All right, your first, your first thoughts, Christian. You go, and then I'm... I'm um, Hamilton, if you want to scroll up near the top of, of her opinion piece, there was, there was a few lines here early on that just caught my attention and, and 
actually really kind of set the tone for the entire article and it just told me, oh, so this is where we're going. Yeah. When she says um, things like, it might have been the complaints from the women around me. Men are in their flop era, one lamented, sick of trying to date in a pool that seems shallower than it should be. Once again, <laughs> crisis with masculinity, women most affected. <laughs> like men have lost yeah. their identity. Women are, 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 are the ones that we need to be talking about here. That's in the third paragraph. Yeah. Like, like fifth sentence. It, it, it just, it blew my mind that, that that's what we're going to put on early in there. We're not going to talk about any statistics. We're not going to, going to mention a, I mean, here's an idea. How about we quote a man <laughs> at the beginning of the article talking about the problem with men? She quotes like three women before she ever even gets to quoting a man in here. Well, I, I think I think part of the issue is, and, and look, I, I think women can comment on the state of masculinity just like men should be able to comment on the status of, of femininity, right? But it, yeah, it, it's interesting in part because the, the left have the, has this certain view of, of looking at things where lived experience, it is, you know, Trump's data or, or, um, or logical outworkings or things like that. And, and again, if you think I'm caricaturing this, just go look at the attributes of whiteness. Go look at some of the tenets of critical theory. They elevate the narrative of the oppressed over other systems of, of thinking, such as logic or the scientific method or things like that, right? Lived experience is paramount. And if you can't live that experience, then you should be careful about what you comment on. But the problem is, is that they don't seem to want to apply that to themselves. When they're talking about men, it's perfectly fine for them to have all kinds of problems about men being weird or incels or, or not doing what they should be or, or representing a shallower dating pool than normal. And there's no, there's no even conception that, well, gosh, this is, this is a woman talking about the problems of masculinity and, and you've let in with, with no real desire, apparently up front at least, to talk to other men. Now, she does do that through the latter part of the argue, uh, article. Now, I want to say this up front. I don't mind a woman talking to other women and then sharing their perspective on what they think is wrong with masculinity. But I guarantee you if someone were to write a similar article about what they thought was wrong with femininity, and if a man started off the article with those three paragraphs or those six paragraphs, that would be the end of the article. Like, that thing would even get published let alone in the Washington Post. Yeah, so so this I, this idea right off the bat of, well, well here's the problem, and, and clearly what she seems to be suggesting is the problem is primarily on the right, right? It's, it's these incels and this misogyny, you know, alt-right misogynistic communities known as the manosphere. So right off the bat, we've, we've, we've characterized the manosphere, which I would say um, it, it is probably far broader than she's given it credit for. But if you're in the manosphere, it's alt-right misogynistic communities, so, so right off the bat, if you fall within those categories, not only is the problem predominantly with men, and it's it's also predominantly right wing men, right? Like, like she's making that very very clear that this is where the problem resides. It's it's with this idea of right wing man, and it manifested himself. Like when here they in amateur militias during the Black Lives Matter protest. Notice that the problem with men during the Black Lives Matter protest, which, which by the way, were some of the most destructive and violent riots to take place. I'm not talking about all the protests, but you, I'm sorry, you don't get to completely separate the peaceful protests that took place to include in areas like this versus violent riots were, which were also done and encouraged by elements within you know the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm not talking about, again, just Black Lives Matter as a statement. I'm talking about the actual organization. Okay, no, the, the problem with men in that situation was not that you had a lot of, of people, you know, like Antifa, which is predominantly made up of, you know, 
white leftists that were using violence. No, no, that wasn't the problem. It, it was this. It was this other group again contained on the right. So the problem seems to suggest that this problem with men and this problem with men getting weird is predominantly a, a right wing issue. That's that's what I took out of. It. Maybe that's not what she meant. But that's what I got when I looked at all of the instances that she used because I don't see her talking about any left-wing men on here or men that might be – like Antifa would have been a perfect example of, hey, is this really a, a proud representation of what masculinity should look like? Nothing. It's all right-wing references. It, it, that, that really gets – in some ways she kind of like revealed her hand of like the direction that this article was going to be going when, when she – she almost straight up in the first couple paragraphs admits – Oh, the the real problem with men is that they're becoming radicalized on the right. And and in some ways, that reveals the left's response to this problem. They care about this problem because they think that it will serve as an obstacle to their desire to achieve political power, not because they actually think it's a societal problem. And yeah. she even admits this in this article that we're going to get to, that there it is like pulling teeth to get anybody on the left to admit that there's even a problem in the first place. Well, and the only way that you're going to be able to get them to do it is if you point to the right and you say, you know, look at how the right is monopolizing this problem with men and then they're using it to achieve political power. And so like I, in some ways, I was really disappointed, honestly, reading the beginning of this article, but it was so captivating in the sense that like, have, have you ever, have, have you guys ever watched this movie called The Room no, by, no. by Tommy Wiseau? It no. was, it was, it, it came out like 20 years ago. It's notorious for probably being the worst movie ever made. And because it is the worst movie, like, like it, it's so bad. They actually made a movie about how bad the movie was <laughs> called The Disaster Artist. Yeah. Um, so the the room is so bad that it actually gained a cult following and people like like religiously watch it because it's so bad. Yeah. And so the reason I bring this up is because sometimes you read something that's so bad, so detached from reality, <laughs> so missing the ball in terms of like where the problem is, identifying the causes behind the problem and then providing solutions to it that you want to keep reading it just because it's like it's like you're you're it's it's the intellectual equivalent of of watching a train wreck unfold yeah, and you're just captivated by it. So that's, that's honestly one, a big reason why I just kept reading, even though I was so turned off. By well, the thank, thank you for this. sharing that train wreck with me and, and wasting my time as well. All right. And now we're going to punish the audience. All right. This is where we get into the first part where now she's starting, she's talking to a man. She goes, this is such an ongoing thing. Taylor Reynolds size. I had this kid show up. Well, I say kid, but he's an undergraduate here. I mention them sometimes. He came over to my house and asked me if we could speak privately. Reynolds 28 is a doctoral student at an Ivy league university with his full beard, mustache and panache for tweed, tweed sport coats. Plus a winsome Southern accent, courtesy of a childhood spent in rural Georgia. He reads is more mature than many of the professors roaming the campus. And the first question the kid asked me is just, what the heck does good masculinity look like? He grimaced. And I'll be honest with you, I did not have an answer for that. So let me get That's this so straight. That's so tragic. No, let me get this straight. So so Taylor Reynolds, who is, who is someone that is, um, you know, he, he's not, he, he's involved in this kind of argument on, on a social level and whatnot. I think, let me, let me look up real quick here. He's basically um, my age. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. I, I do not have a tweed sport coats, nor do I have a... a <laughs> Uh, Georgian accent, um, and I sure as hell would never go to an Ivy League university. But um, well, but the, the the thing I wanted to point out about this is he, is he goes up to this this man right, um, who who's you would think on on some level 
has experienced some life and, and things of that nature and asked, what does good masculinity look like? And he goes, I'll be, I don't have an answer for that. that that's why I said it's so tragic. Yeah. He's, he's speaking to an undergrad, so probably somebody that's like 18, 19, 20. Yeah. And he's 28, so he's about a decade older than them. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the equivalent of like the age gap between me and my brother. Um, and no, no, he's not 28. Reynolds was 28. Oh, the, the kid, the, the, the kid. Well, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's why I yeah. said the, the kid is 28 years old. Oh. The undergraduate is 28 years old. That's, right, even, more, that's even more sad that a, that a like full grown. Oh, wait, wait, I'm sorry. You're wrong. You're you. So I, I'm I was wrong. Right, you read it correctly. 28. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, the, the, yeah. Okay. Taylor Reynolds is the 28 doctoral so student at Ivy League, Ivy League University. That's, that's still, yeah. cr- that's still crazy that like, I, and you know what? I knew I like they, they didn't mention the kid's name, but like I knew immediately where this kid was coming from. How much you in a bet? This kid got out of class. Yeah. And then immediately walked over to this guy's house and the and 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 had this sit down conversation because inside he's he's emotionally tormented by the fact that probably in this class that's statistically probably 60 to 70% female. Yeah. There was something that came up in the class and the professor probably attacked men, blamed men, brought up toxic masculinity, you know, mentioned the patriarchy, all of these things that the left brings up and and shames men. And this kid is is being accused he, he is having all of the sins of the world being placed on his shoulders and he's 18 uh-huh. and and he's going through this crisis thinking what the hell have i done i haven't done anything i haven't even really started my life and i'm being accused of all these these terrible things that i haven't done and i'm benefiting from this system that i'm looking around and i'm clearly not benefiting from any patriarchy if there's a patriarchy i want a refund yeah. I'm not I'm not benefiting from anything. There's so many young men that are like in their late teens, early 20s that are going through this like crisis where they're in school dominated by women. Again, the average college class overwhelmingly majority woman. My 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 alma mater was like like almost 2 to 1 women to men, for example. And and the 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 stuff that professors are bringing up and I'm like trying to uh you know go through recall of the stuff that I went through in college and I went to um, JMU. I graduated in 2015, so it was it was just under a decade ago that I was I, I was at college myself. And I remember having these type of conversations even back then, even before the the, the Great Awakening, right? And and I can only imagine what it's like now in 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 the post Trump, post 2020 world on a university campus because it was bad even when I was there. And I I know exactly what this kid is thinking. That, that he's being blamed and attacked for things that he has no responsibility for. Mm-hmm. And he's going through an identity crisis right now. And he's being told that he's a bad person simply because of his chromosomes. Yeah. And and then he goes to this guy that's older and he says, what exactly does does good positive masculinity look like? And the fact that this this graduate student can't Island. answer that question yeah just i think really kind of hints at the crisis that we're in right now well and she she goes into she goes the author goes into explain that anxieties around masculinity aren't unique to this moment as early as 1835 washington irving lamented the new american upper class's tendency to send our youth abroad to grow luxurious and effeminate in europe his alternative a previous tour on the prairies would be more likely to produce the manliness most in unison with our political institutions excuse me Skip ahead a few decades and new worries about faltering masculinity turned into an obsession with fitness. On October 20th, issue of Physical Culture magazine advertised to men instructions on how to square your shoulders and to women some advice. Shall I marry him? A lesson in eugenics. By the way, 
she, I, I think she's mentioning this as almost like a, a she's a, putting down. Yeah, but that's that's exactly the logic that I I got to when I was reading this. Is that what she's really saying is this isn't a problem. This is that you know people have been writing about this for centuries. It's not. I, there well, was, wait, wait, wait. I think there's something else to, important to mention here right now. The whole like eugenics movement. This was hand in hand with the progressive era. Like eugenics and progressivism were hand in glove, right? So I, I find it a little bit interesting. And, and she says this too, still by 1958, Arthur Schlesinger Jr., totally left on the, on the left, warned that the male role has plainly lost its rugged clarity of outline. Writing in Esquire magazine, he added, the ways by which American men affirm their masculinity are uncertain and obscure. There are multiplying signs indeed that something has gone badly wrong with the American male's conception of himself. What's interesting in, is through all of this is that she's actually talking about some people that would be considered definitely on the left, like squarely on the left. And there's still this idea that there is unifying components of masculinity that are rooted in this idea of rugged goodness, capability, physicality, etc. right? This is going to be important for later. Worrying about the state of men is an American tradition, but today's problems are real and well-documented, as opposed to, I guess they weren't before, I don't know. De-industrialization, automation, free trade, and peacetime has shifted the labor market dramatically and not in men's favor. The need for physical labor has declined while soft skills and academic credentials are increasingly rewarded. Growing numbers of working age men have detached from the labor market with the biggest drop in employment among men ages 25 to 34. For those in a job, wages have stagnated everywhere except the top. This is where we start to get into this idea of, she's already made up in her mind part of what the problem is, and this problem is deindustrialization, automation, free tra- trade, and peacetime, right? As if the only way that men can actually be men, if there's war, you know, coal plants for them to work out, but, but really automation and free trade are the problems here. Like really this anyway, it, it just, it just goes to show that even when they're, even when they're starting to recognize a, a problem or a crisis of masculinity, it always goes back into, well, what are the root causes that coincide with our own political or economic philosophy? Meanwhile, women are surging ahead in school and in the workplace, putting a further dent in the provider model that has long been ingrained in our conception of masculinity. Men now receive about 74 bachelor's degrees for every 100 awarded to women, and men account for more than 70% of the decline in college enrollment overall. In 2020, nearly half of women reported in a TD Trade Ameritrade survey that they out-earn or make the same amount as their husbands or partners, a huge jump from fewer than 4% of women in the 1960s. Can I just say something real quick on here? I, I think this... Is, is worth pointing out. I, I I don't know what this author would say on this, so I don't want to attribute ideas to her that maybe that she doesn't hold, but I do find this interesting. Most of the people that I see within, you know, the left, within progressivism that would describe themselves as woke, honestly believe that we are, that women are living under the heel of an oppressive patriarchy. And yet, I'll read it again. Meanwhile, women are surging ahead in school and in the workplace, putting a further dent in the provider model that has been ingrained in our conception of masculinity. Men receive 74 bachelor's degrees for every 100 awarded by women, and women are claiming that they're actually making a lot more than they were you know, just several decades ago. How is that possible within this horrible male-dominated patriarchal society, which is completely organized in order to oppress women at the expense, or oppress, uh, yeah, oppress women so that men can get ahead? Like, I, I just every once in a while I wish as they were reading off the the sense of the the list of accomplishments, 
which which we should all be able to look at and be like, hey, that's a good thing. Like I'm 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 a man. I'm not unhappy that women are getting more college degrees. I'm a man. I'm not unhappy that women are making more money. I'm I'm a man. I'm not but unhappy that women have more economic opportunities or academic opportunities. But it would be nice if every once in a while the same people who are constantly complaining about the patriarchy, you know, mercilessly holding down women, maybe when they write something like this, go back and be like, oh, this might. This might challenge some of my other assumptions with respect to the actual state of Western civilization. But nope. Then there's the domestic sphere. Last summer, a Psychology Today article caused a stir online by pointing out that dating opportunities for heterosexual men are diminishing as relationship standards rise. I love how caused a stir. Wait, wait, wait a second. And one, it's heterosexual men are diminishing as relationship standards rise. Or it could be that you have certain universities where now 40% of the incoming class identifies as part of the LGBTQ community. Would, would that potentially account for heterosexual men you know, losing dating opportunities? I don't actually think that that's, that's the problem. Um, I, I, I think that if anything else, that's I don't a think it's the entire problem. problem. I don't think it's the entire problem, but I think it's funny. It's a social, that I, that's a social contagion. I, the I whole don't disagree. 40%, I mean, there's no way, there's no way that 40% of, of society is actually, actually LGBTQ. Well, right? but it's also this idea is relationship standards rise, no longer dependent on marriage as a means to financial security or even motherhood. A growing number of women are choosing to create families by themselves with the help of reproductive technology. Women are increasingly selective, leading to a rise in lowly single young men more of whom now live with their parents than a romantic partner. Men also account for almost three of four deaths of despair, either from suicide, alcohol abuse, or an overdose. It's, it's so, I mean, reading this is so depressing, to be completely honest. And, and I feel it because I was, was one of these men just a few years ago. I, I'm going to say some things that are... Um, need to be said, but are not necessarily things that are going to paint me in a great light. But I, I, I relate to so much of this. I didn't move out from my parents' house until I was 27, permanently. I had left twice before, but I'd always had to go back. Mm -hmm. And I felt like such a loser for that. I, I, I remember thinking to myself, I'm in my late 20s and I can't even get out of my parents' house. How much of a loser am I? My mother moved out when she was 18. I, and, I mean, my, my, my grandparents, my grandmother lived through World War II and was homeless for a while as a kid. Like, like I mean, the, the, the struggles that, that my parents and grandparents went through are, are way more immense than me. Why can't I even get out of my parents' house? I felt like I was a loser. I, I felt I felt like I I felt like society didn't need me and I felt like I wasn't contributing anything positive. I wasn't in a relationship. I'm still not. I, I, I wasn't going anywhere, but you were always working. I mean, you had, I was always employment. working, but yeah. I, it was, but it I, wasn't sufficient to make you feel like you had meaning and purpose. Mm -mm. And, and I, I wasn't making a lot of money either at the time. And I, I just, I know exactly, I know exactly where some of these young men are coming from. Many of whom are now a couple years younger than me because I'm in my late twenties now. And I have finally moved out of my parents' house, but like, I don't know. I'm reading this. And I remember reading this article from Psychology Today. And it was it was just depressing reading it. Like, people wonder why so many men are, are like, turning to alcohol or drugs or committing suicide. Or why there's so many men that are going through, like, mental health crises. And and the, the extremely disturbed ones are going out there and committing acts of violence. And, and 
it's it's obvious that there's a problem that 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 if you're a 20 something year old guy or a teenage guy you feel like that that the entire you know what you feel like you feel like everything the we, the, the the left says about their preferred demographic groups Think about it for a minute. The left's message to a huge segment of society in order to construct their political coalition is you are oppressed. Yeah. And everything is rigged against you in society. That is their message to racial minorities. That's their message to women. Mm -hmm. That's their message to LGBTQ to, to the gender stuff. Like that is their message is everything is about oppressive power structures and you're the oppressed classes. And if you're a 20 something year old guy, there's an element of you that feels oppressed and you feel ashamed about it because you should never be oppressed as a 20 something year old guy. It, it, it something has gone wrong. If you feel oppressed, it's, it, it runs contrary to masculinity to feel like you're being oppressed mm -hmm. as a 20 something year old guy. You feel like that you are at the stage in your life where, where you should be building a civilization because civilization is usually built by young men. Mm -hmm. And instead, you feel like that you're being oppressed and you feel ashamed for it. And, and so not only do you feel oppressed, you also feel useless and you feel guilty for it, like that you've done something wrong about yourself. And it's it's created this 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 doom loop where a lot of men are falling into into either porn or they're falling into, you know, just playing video games. They're stuck at home. They're, they're not going out. They're not making relationships with people when they do try to they they they, you know, they fall into trouble with like HR, yeah. right. Or, or women reject them. And then, and then women go out there and say like, where have all the, the good men gone? You destroyed them all. <laughs> well, I, I think it's interesting. She goes on to say, and while the fast 50 years have been revolutionary for women, the fem again, I always ask this, if it, if it's, if the past 50 years have been revolutionary for women, the feminist movement championed their power and an entire academic discipline emerged to theorize about gender and, and excavate women's history. There hasn't been a, okay. I, I always go back to, and once again, that happened all within a patriarchal, what you claim to be a purely patriarchal system designed to oppress women. There hasn't been a corresponding conversation about what role men should play in a changing world. At the same time, the increasing visibility of the LGBTQ plus movement has made the gender dynamics seem less stable, less defined. Wow. You don't say <laughs> You don't say. I, I go back to, and this is one of the things I think is interesting. It is taken as a foregone conclusion that, quote, no longer dependent on marriage as a means to financial security or even motherhood, a growing number of women are choosing to create families by themselves with the help of reproductive technology. Women are increasingly selective, leading to a rise in lonely single young men and a rise in lonely single women. That's not true, actually. No. It, 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 okay. It is true. It is true <laughs> that there's been a rise. No, no, no. Hang on. Hang on. Listen. It is true that it is technically true that there is a rise in in lonely single women, but it is not even remotely close to the rise in lonely single. Women. I didn't say that. Like critique the comment I'm making. Think about that for a second. No, though. no. I understand that. I understand what you're saying is that there's more lonely men than there are lonely women out there. What I'm suggesting is that there has been a rise in both because this idea that the feminist movement have sold women on that they're going to be far more happier if in their 40s they look back uh, or in their 50s or 60s they look back on on a life that was fulfilled exclusively by their career as opposed to a family or children or grandchildren. A lot of those women are coming to the realization that actually that, that's Definitely not true for most women. That's true. But and so the point I'm trying to make, and I'm not trying to take this away from men. The point I'm trying to make is, is that I, I the, the feminist narrative seems to be feminism has gone over just swimmingly for women, but now we got to figure out why, you know, the, the men are all in a funk. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think it's actually, I think there's elements of feminism 
which have, have gone well for, for women. And I would say society in general, I think there's a lot of others that have gone horribly horrible for both. I don't think it's been overall better for society to have more, you know, lonely people that feel like they can't find their place in this world or feel like they were lied to about what would actually bring them purpose and meaning within life. And she goes on to say, that, hang on, hang on. Before go you go on, think about for a minute that there's more single men than single women. And then think about how the gender balance in this country is almost, not quite, but almost 50-50. What does that tell you? That women are dating... The same guy. Yeah. There's oh, yeah. multiple women that are throwing themselves... Uh, it's a... um, What is it? I, th I think they call it... It's, it's a Pareto distribution? Where, where I, I can't remember the phrase, but there's a term. There's an academic term to describe um, a, a scenario where... Here's an extreme version of it. 80% of one group throw themselves at 20% of the other yes. group. Yes, yeah. And then that 20% of the other group is more than happy to accept the 80%. But yeah. the math doesn't work out. What that means is that each person in that 20% has five or 10 people in that 80%. Well, this is something that gets talked about a lot on some of the manosphere blogs and stuff like that, where they're, where they're basically discussing that when, when women are saying, this is what I want and this is what I you know demand. The other thing to keep in mind here, and, and this was, this was actually a controversial moment on one of these, on one of these uh, YouTube shows where this woman was basically saying, well, I can get a man, I can do this, I can do that. And, and he goes, you need to stop asking how many men will sleep with you and how many men will actually marry you. Hypergamy is, is the term. Tom brought it up in the comments. Thank yeah. you, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's well, hypergamy hyper is when yeah a, a woman is actually searching for a man that is is above her own economic or, or social status. Um, but but the the issue that we have here is that it, as marriage goes on the decline, again we, we need to be careful in what we're talking about. And there's a big it is a Pareto distribution. They're 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 both the same thing. Sorry, I just wanted to confirm. Yeah, no, I, that. I get that. The, the, you weren't wrong. The the point is is that the, the point that I'm trying to point out here is that there's a big difference between talking about relationships in the sense of dating relationships versus like committed relationships. And what you're starting to see more of now is just what you pointed to. It's the idea that you have more single women sleeping with the same smaller percentage of high-performing men, right? And, and, and when we say high-performing, that's still a relative term because that, that's largely associated with status and economics. It's the it doesn't, chads. It doesn't mean, that they're, <laughs> doesn't mean that they're great husbands or partners or, or, or uh, fathers. No, the, the, the better they way to describe it is something. it's the meme. It's the Chad, right? Like, yeah. like women are throwing themselves at the chads and the chads are more than happy to sleep with all of them and yeah. then never commit to any of them because that's the nature of, of who they are. And so what it's created is this situation where if you, if you're like in the top 1% of men in terms of like looks and attractiveness and money and all, all of those things, then you're doing great. But women are now being quite frankly diluted. Hamilton showed me, um, clips of people on, on, of women on various podcasts, not just whatever, but like that, I think that was one of them too, but just yeah. multiple different podcasts. And they're being asked how many six foot men make a hundred thousand dollars a year in the U S what percentage of them? Oh, and God. they'll be it's, like, Oh yeah, it's like 25, yeah. 30%. Less than two. And then he's like, no, no, it's less than two. Yeah. Less than 2%. And then they're like stunned and they're like, and, and you've singled out 98% of men now well, and said, I'm only going to. So part of the problem is, and again, you see this within kind of like the hookup culture and the, the club culture and everything else. You'll see all the women on these particular shows that are saying like, what are you talking about? I, I can, I totally have guys that, you know, I can, that, that will come over and try. And again, that was the point. It's like, stop asking how many guys will sleep with you and start asking how many will marry you. 
And and that was the part that, again, the, the people that get so mad at these guys for being misogynist, like on Fresh and Fit or whatever podcast or whatnot, they're, they're pointing out, it's like, well, wait a second, right? If, if your goal is eventually to get married to someone that you consider to be a, a good and, and worthy spouse and partner through life and the whole deal, if you're spending your first seven years of your 20s sleeping with all these guys that have no intention of marrying you, and then you decide later on you're going to settle down with one of these other guys, those guys are increasingly saying, yeah, not worth it. And, and that's problematic. But let, let's get back to this article. We, we gotta go th- I'm going to go through some of this. He goes, because men still dominate leadership positions in government and corporations, many assume they're doing fine and bristle at male complaint. After all, 45, all 45 U.S. presidents have been male, and men still make up more than two-thirds of Congress. A 2020 analysis of the S&P 500 found that there were more CEOs named Michael or James than there were female CEOs, period. Women are still dealing with historical discrimination and centuries of male domination that haven't been fully accounted for or rectified. Again, this is one of those things Give where it's like break. it's it's never ending. It's never, never ending. accounted for or rectified. Every everything's a good first step. Everything's a good first step. Are we really worrying that men feel a little emasculated because their female classmates are doing well? And this is once again the straw man argument. Right, it's the straw man argument. It's like, no, the only reason why men are feeling bad is because women are finally getting the rightful place and you guys just can't handle it. Okay, whatever. I, I mean, again, like if you're if you're a dude, you're looking at someone like that saying something like this and making this the accusation and being like, "Fine, you're right," and then just screw it, right? I I, I remember looking at this and and immediately being like, "How how can you not realize?" Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot, and I I, I brought this up to you shortly before we went live. Peterson brings up that when you look at IQ. It is statistically proven that there's relatively little difference in average IQ between men and women. They're basically, on average, the average man and woman have the same level of intelligence. But when you look at distribution curves, you see something radically different. You find out that the most intellectually challenged and the most brilliant people in the world are usually men. Men have a wider distribution curve than women, even though the average for the both is the same. So what does that lead to? Also, actually, hang on. There's one more thing, too. When it comes to productivity, you see the same thing. The biggest losers in society are usually men. But likewise, the most productive people in societies, again, the people that build civilizations, the people that yeah. create companies, the people that run the Fortune 500 companies, the, the, the people that will put in the 80, 90-hour work weeks in order to, to achieve a, a single-minded focus, a goal, they're also men. And so naturally, what you find out in, in meritocracies, like what you have within modern capitalism that's the beauty of it is that the best rise to the top at least that's the way that it should be in in meritocratic systems the ones who will always perform the best are going to be men but it's not going to be all men it's going to be one percent of men it's going to be one or two percent of men well, and this is notice the- how it's not every man is this is a fortune 500 ceo i'm not a fortune 500 ceo it's a tiny well, subsegment this is, this of men is the that part are. this is the part we got to get through this thing this is the part where she <laughs> she says but millions of men lack access to this kind of power and success now I, I will say this i have a real problem with this constant drumbeat of lack access no there, there is access to achieve some of this. Some people don't necessarily want to live their lives the way that they have to in order to achieve this success. There's always this idea that the success is just there and it's all about luck and distribution as opposed to, no, it's very, very difficult to be there because it is by definition an incredibly hard place to be. 
Millions of men lack access to this kind of power and success and downstream cut loose from a stable identity as patriarchs or deserving of respect. They feel demonized and adrift. The data show it, but so does the general mood. Men find themselves lonely, depressed, anxious, and directionless. And then it goes back to Reynolds. He goes, it's kind of terrifying that he thought I was the best person to come and ask. Reynolds went on to tell me about this underclassman visitor. I'm not even a parent. It seems like there's been a breakdown, right? But there's a very real way in which at this moment, a lot of guys don't know. They have no sense of what it means to be them, particularly. They have no idea what it means to be a man. Past models of masculinity feel unreachable or socially unacceptable. Yeah, let's, it. yeah. I'm going to go heavier with the socially unacceptable, not unreachable. New ones have yet to crystallize. What are men for in the modern world? What do they look like? Where do they fit? <laughs> These are social questions, but also ones with major political ramifications. Whatever self-definition men settle on will have an enormous impact on society. Yet many people like Reynolds hesitate to be one to try to outline a new standard of manliness. Who are they to set the rules? Only one group seems to have no such doubts about offering men a plan. And this is where we get, this is where you get into the appeal from the right. So let, let's let's get into this because, and we're not going to read through the whole thing, but I, I we need to hit certain points here. In 2018, curious about a YouTube personality who had seemingly become famous overnight, I got tickets to a sold-out lecture in D.C. by Jordan Peterson. It was one of dozens of stops on the Canadian psychology professor turned anti-woke juggernauts book tour for his surprise bestseller, 12 Rules for Life, and Antidote to Chaos. The crowd was at least 85% male. The reminder seemed to be made up of long-suffering girlfriends plus moms who had brought their sons in the hopes that they'd shape up surrounded by men on a Tuesday night. I wondered aloud what the fuss was about. In my opinion, Peterson served up fairly banal advice, stand up straight, delay gratification. His evolutionary biology informed tanks uh, takes range from amusingly weird to mildly insulting. Female lobsters are irresistibly attracted to the top lobsters are, are human women. His three piece suit seemed gimmicky. Suddenly the 20 something guy in front of me swung around Jordan Peterson. He told me without a hint of irony in his voice taught me how to live. Her condescending, her condescension towards someone like Jordan Peterson. That's the problem. Listen to me right here. If, if you're on the left and you're watching this, and I don't know how many are, but if you're on the left and you're watching this, that sort of condescension toward a man like Jordan Peterson is one of the reasons why all of the other influencers you don't like are gaining steam. It's because Jordan Peterson went out there. He did Years upon years upon years of clinical research. He tries to use very, very precise language. He tries to base everything he says based off of rigorous academic research. He, he tries to articulate positions in a way that is fair and easy to understand while at the same time requiring that degree of intellectual rigor that I mentioned. And he's getting mocked for it. This is banal. Clean your room. What is that? Oh my God, who cares? You know what? It, it, it is amazing to me because we're going to see this later on in the article. When Scott Galloway, who is solidly on the left, says something similar, all of a sudden it's this incredible insight that might give us some view as to helping men achieve genuine masculinity in a modern society. But when Jordan Peterson says the same thing backed up by a lot more research, a lot more clinical work, not to mention a very in-depth explanation of why something as simple as cleaning your room is important, he's mocked for it. Why? Because he's not solidly on the left. That's it. That's why he's mocked for it. And what it does is it creates this idea, and, and this is an increasing idea on the right. I see it all the time. We're tired of civil discourse because it never gets reciprocated. 
We try to be civil and we get mocked for it. You say you want us to do a better job of articulating what we feel about a situation. And then we get mocked for being too touchy. Oh, did we hurt your feelings? Oh, is the man upset now? That's what you get from the left. And so the response has been, fine, people like Jordan Peterson are not being respected by the left, even though they are theoretically engaging in this debate the way the left demands with rigorous academic research. And coming from a background that came from the left. And coming from a background that came from the left. Nope, not good enough. Unless you are willing, unless you are willing to completely embrace leftist orthodoxy and essentially come to the conclusion that the problem with men now is merely a practical problem that we have to solve in order to continue the push. And we're not going to do any introspection on how left-wing ideology might have actually helped create this problem. No, no, no. If you don't buy into the orthodoxy, you're not worthy of respect and you will be treated as such. And when I got to this point, I, I got to admit, I was I was so angry. I was living. I was so at angry what she this wrote about Jordan Peterson because it yeah. was like, man, this guy has tried so hard to 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 try to follow the rules with respect to civil discourse, and he repeatedly gets treated like trash by the left, and they constantly try to get him on interviews where they they try to make him look horrible, and he just outperforms them every single time. He doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't start yelling. He doesn't start. You know, uh, uh, you know, crying for men to just kind of raise up, and, and he didn't do any of that. He calls for men to assume greater responsibility over their lives. In fact, there was a, there was a um, comment from one of our, our members here where he said this problem is ultimately going to solve. You know, the problem of masculinity is going to be solved by men, and he's right. Jordan Peterson has has gone so far as to say, if you as a man have a problem with women, well, then the problem that you first need to solve is the problems within yourself, because. Men do have a responsibility. There, there's no third way. There's no alternative here. Men can't wait. I mean, we, we can be frustrated. We can even have a legitimate concern with respect to what has gone on with respect to femininity. But if you think you're going to solve it by waiting for the feminist movement to realize, oh, gosh, there might have been a mistake here. Maybe we're, That ain't going to solve it. They're never, And we're going to get to this later in this episode. I, I, I want this is probably going to be a somewhat longer episode because if there's just so much to go through here. This is such an important topic there's there's the left is incapable of admitting what is actually causing the problem and offering a real solution because they've constructed a political coalition built around attacking the type of people that jordan peterson speaks to yeah and and they cannot allow themselves they literally cannot allow themselves to to give any sort of slack or leeway to young men because their political coalition demands otherwise and this is it's 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 a tragedy in some ways because if the left was genuinely genuinely interested in simply just lifting up people that that were underperforming the rest of society they would be going about things radically different than the way that they currently are if they were actually genuinely interested in in addressing you know systemic inequalities or or underperformances they they, they would you could do that without trashing men and they're they're incapable of doing it because they need to they need a scapegoat. Well, we we talked about this earlier when we were talking about misogyny and misandry. Mm-hmm. So misandry is probably a term that most people are not even familiar with. Basically, what misandry is it's is a hatred the, of men. It's the opposite of misogyny, right? Misogyny is this idea of a, of a hatred or prejudice against women. Misandry is a hatred or a prejudice against men. And what's interesting is that over the last several decades, misandry has increasingly been on the rise. The idea that you can question men's place in society whatsoever, that you can tell men to like, you know, shut up and back up and, you know, you know, again, stop being a little pansy at the same time that you're telling them you want them to be more emotionally vulnerable and and available, 
right? All this stuff. And the moment someone comes up and says, well, you know, this is actually what's going on with, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Is the big, is the big strong man. Can I, can I just. What do you say? Is the big strong man upset now? Like, wait a second, wait a second, stop. I, it, here's the point that needs to be understood. And this is by this author. It's a point that needs to be understood by the by the more like aggressive feminist thing that do regularly engage in misandry. If you continue to do this, and if the men like Jordan Peterson, which are saying that misogyny is bad and misandry is bad, if those people are treated with that degree of contempt and disrespect, what you're going to get is more and more people within this circle advocating for misogyny. Absolutely. You're going to get it as a response because it's going to be like, wait a second, you wanted equality, right? All right, well, equality means if you engage in misandry, someone else can engage in misogyny, right? What are you what are you gonna do? Complain about it now? And the and the response from a lot of young men is not gonna be, oh yeah, I guess we shouldn't complain. The response is gonna be like, no, no, no. You made this world. I'm now just playing in it. And that's what people like Jordan Peterson are trying to stop. But they're given no respect for it. I, I, I I've brought this up before. The left are going to create the very monsters that they accuse their opponents of being. No, I, I think there's truth to it. And, and the, the left has spent years talking about toxic masculinity. And we're getting to a point where some young men are going to be like, I'll show you what toxic masculinity actually looks like. And that's what we're trying to stop. And I mean, people like Jordan Peterson have done the research. They have seen what happens when you... When 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 you create that type of monster, yeah, he he's 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 done so much research into authoritarian, dictatorial, dystopian regimes throughout history, and and how ordinary people can become the embodiment of evil. Yeah, and and he wants to avoid that from happening. He, you know what he wants to avoid? He wants to avoid a situation where you have a Weimar moment, right? Yeah, where he, he wants to he wants to avoid. Another return to to you know twenty four you know twentieth century totalitarian dictatorships either on the far right or far left, and the and, and people on the left are, are are ridiculing him and attacking him vehemently for it. If you listen to his early stuff, he he's not saying anything that's 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 false. She 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 was upset that he brought up that female lobsters are attracted to the dominant lobster. And by the way, that exists all throughout nature. Yeah. It also exists with humans. That's a fact. And he's pointing to he's pointing to evolutionary biology, but you don't even just need evolutionary biology to look at that. You can look at basic morality. All all major world religions also you know teach things about how natural hierarchies exist. Yeah. And and if you're going to deny the existence of that that's confirmed by both hard science and philosophy and religion, and it, it's one. I, I think it's so funny that the left always tries to argue that science and religion are at odds with each yeah. other. Like, there's many things where there, there's a lot of overlap and agreement there. And that's one thing that Peterson brings up from a hard science and a psychological philosophical perspective. It is obvious that hierarchy is inevitable. The question is, what type of hierarchy are we, are we going to have? Are we going to have a meritocratic hierarchy? Yeah. Are we? Or are we going to have a cacistocracy? <laughs> the rule of the most inept and incompetent, which is basically what the left is pushing for. And then when they get upset at him for it, you know what they're creating? They're creating a bunch of Andrew Tates. 
Well, and so here's, here's the thing. She goes in next. She goes, if there's a vacuum in modeling manhood today, Peterson has been one of the boldest in stepping up to fill it. He has gained fame, notoriety, and millions of book sales in the process. And he's only one of many right-aligned masculinity gurus of better or worse quality who have amassed huge audiences of the past decade. There are more straightforward political options. She talks about Josh, uh, Josh Hawley. She goes, there are fringier individuals such as the online figure known as the Bronze Age Pervert, BAP for short, real name, Costin Almaru. Almaru. I, He's I, a I gotta, PhD holder from Yale. Yeah, yeah, I think that's funny. He's an Ivy League PhD holder. I got I to gotta tell you, honestly, He's, he's though, a Romanian. Honestly, I had no idea who this guy, I had no idea who this guy was until I actually read this article. Some right-wing models tip over their obviously unsavory. Um, some right-wing models tip over into the obviously unsavory. Last year brought the rise of Andrew Tate, the kickboxer and failed Big Brother contestant, turned massive social influencer whose extreme misogyny gotten him booted from TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. He's a caricature of masculinity, constantly shouting about his sports cars and women, multiple of each, naturally. A cigar surgically attached to his hand, but his advice about how to become an alpha male attracted an enormous following of teenage boys to the point that schools were circulating information about how to counteract his messages in the classroom. I do find it interesting that, that, that again, the schools, you know, we, we've said before, and there, there have been, there have been things that have come out recently too, about Andrew Tate and some of the things he said, here's what, here's one thing I want to point out about this before we move forward. Cause I think it's important. We, we've repeatedly said that there's certain things that Andrew Tate says that resonate with people. And it's important to understand why, because there's certain things that he calls for that make sense. I will also say that as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, I have a huge problem with Andrew Tate. When, when you listen to him describe how he convinced women to, to become webcam girls, it's infuriating. But here's what I also don't understand. I know why I'm mad. I'm mad because I think promiscuity and hookup culture and pornography and, and all of this stuff is just inherently wrong. But the feminist movement five seconds ago was talking about how empowering was and how great it was and why shouldn't women be able to do these things and this is, this is good for them. And then Andrew Tate comes along and facilitates it and now they don't like it. And I'm looking at it going, no, 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 wait a second. Let, let's separate out. Now, again, if he was guilty of actually engaging in, in forms of human trafficking, that would be, I mean, that's a completely different category, which is horrible and wrong and for which there should be stringent prosecution and punishment for. But if this is something where he convinced a woman to do something and she decided to do it and then got paid a lot to do it, five seconds ago, the feminist movement was telling me that was empowering. And when I said, no, I don't think it is, their response was, is you're just a puritanical patriarchal jackass. But now that, it, now that Andrew Tate profited from it, oh, well, now it's bad and it's wrong and it's immoral. I'm just so sick. They're incapable I'm of- I'm so sick of the- you know, they're, they're incapable of understanding why Andrew Tate became popular in the first place. They're completely and utterly incapable of it. You made him popular. Yeah. You-, you I, I, I'm going to keep saying this. The left is literally creating the very caricature that they've accused everybody of being. They're, they're radicalizing people and they don't even realize that they're radicalizing people. And then when people come along and bring up, you know, maybe, maybe you shouldn't alienate so many young men because to go back to the African proverb, uh, you know, young men will, will eventually burn the village to the ground in order to feel its warmth. If they're rejected by its inhabitants, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be, you know, pushing them away. You're the bad guy for bringing that up. 
Yeah. And, and, and by the way, she brings this up in here. In, in this article, it's like pulling teeth for her to get any of her left-wing friends to admit that there's even a problem in the first place, let alone to to prescribe any sort of solution that well, doesn't you, you involve— You look at the links in this article, and it's things like, Paul Waldman, the real manhood crisis is conservatives whining about manhood. Like F off. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> Pretty much. Honestly. I, 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 I just— at some point, I mean, no, no, not even at some point. It's 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 happening. It's a slow it's a slow moving process right now where young men are growing up. They're being told they're responsible for all the ills in the world, and that there is no redemption. It's the worst form of religion. It's religion. It's it's a religion of modern day leftist wokeism. Is a religion of original sin with no redemption, no Christ figure. <laughs> yeah. It is, it gonna, is, you, you, ate the apple, you ate the apple and you're screwed. And the <laughs> only thing you can do is become an ally. Everything's a good first step. And yeah. for a lot of young men, they're looking at them and being like, I'm being sold a, a bill of goods with, with, <laughs> well, she, I, I, I'm being sold a fake bill of goods with, yeah. with, with no promise for, for improvement or hope for well, myself. Why on earth would you, would you accept that? Not to, not to mention the fact that so much of what they're actually pushing is just asserted. You know, they, they pretend as if this is this is just based off of, you know, millennia of, of historical understanding or evolutionary biology or, you know, in-depth research over time. No, it isn't. Like, most of this crap is just asserted through, through critical theory and Marxist ideology. It's just, no, trust us, this will all work out. They're it's, bullying people into believing this yeah, stuff. Yeah, it, it's not. And then they alienate you for not believing it as if that's the same. But as, the as thing make, is, is that wait, wait, as, as if that's the same as, as making your argument. We, we got to get to the next I know, I know. Hey, hey, one last thing, though. It's it's not surprising to see how effective that is, though, because ideas can be very powerful. I mean, think about how the left has bullied people into accepting that men can become women, for crying yeah. out loud, right? Like like into literally ignoring biology oh, a, a, feminine, a feminist favorite woman is a man pretending to be a woman. That's the part that should just blow all of our mind That's right now. That's the left solution. There's for only one type. There's only one type of ma- there's only one type of man that hardcore woke feminist truly loves, and that's a man pretending to be a woman, right? You you kick you kick other women out of their their one chance to actually win a championship in the NCAA. Well, my gosh, just I mean, how can we throw roses and and commercial contracts at you? Give me a break. It's also important that the approach of these male models is both particular and aspirational. This is one thing that she recognized. She goes, the Baps and the Hollies. Now, I get furious with this because she. this is, again, her throwing every single person on the right that talks about the crisis of manhood into the same category, right? If you're right, if you're on the right and you're talking about manhood, well, then clearly you all fall within the same camp. The Babs and the Hollies find ways to celebrate aspects of the male experience from physical strength to competitive to sex as a motivator that other parts of modern society have either derided as toxic or attempted to explain aren't specific to men at all. What do you mean other parts of modern society? How about the entire left? The entire left has adopted this position. At, at their best, these influencers highlight positive traits that were traditionally associated with manliness, protectiveness, leadership, emotional stability, and encourage them making masculinity out to be a real and necessary thing and its acquisition something honorable and desirable. And the fact that they're willing to define it outright feels bravely countercultural. I laughed at that line. I'm looking at this going, you know, it, this is the part where I don't, I don't feel like there's any introspection whatsoever, whatsoever on behalf of the author. It's this idea that protectiveness, leadership, emotional stability, and encourage them making masculine out to be a real and necessary thing. Yes, that is countercultural. 
This idea that that this it is not counter- bravely countercultural. It, That's it, the problem. It is like this. This has become countercultural. The right does not dominate cultural discourse. We don't dominate Hollywood. We don't dominate journalism. We sure as heck don't dominate education or academia. We we don't dominate arts and entertainment. We don't dominate music. We don't dominate any of it. That is all left wing dominance, and everything they just described is absolutely countercultural with that respect. Um, a similar energy infused in a documentary called The End of Men by uh, now former news personality Tucker Carlson, a trailer of which captivated the internet in the spring of 2020. Bathed in soft lighting and accompanied by a military-esque soundtrack, ripped shirtless figures, flipped massive tires, shotguns, wrestled each other, and chugged raw eggs. A fully nude man stood on a mountaintop, head tipped back, and arms outstretched, his genitals obscured by what looked like a giant USB stick emitting a red light. I have never seen this. <laughs> Once a society collapses, you're in hard times, a British uh, inflected voiceover intoned. Those hard times inevitably produce men who are tough, men who are resourceful, men who are strong enough to survive. They go on to reestablish order, and so the cycle begins again. The imagery might be ridiculous, but the message is clear. Okay, if aspects of that are ridiculous, fine, but I'm sorry. (laughs) This just, again, this is one of those things where there's very, very little introspection. Even as masculinity comes under attack, real men still exist, and this blonde, chiseled, violent is what they look like, despite what woke and presumably clothed society might tell you. Male dominance is the natural order of things. Without it, the world would fall apart. Uh, you know, you notice know, they add the blonde in there because again, she has to make it racial. It has to be racial, right? This, this can't just be, it can't be that masculinity has shared common traits across time and culture. Like I'm willing to bet, like this is the part where, again, I look at these people going, you know, for all of your supposed appreciation for history and culture and differing cultures and diversity of cultures, you don't seem to understand that there has actually been a fairly common thread about what constitutes male masculinity Right? What constitutes masculinity across space, time, and culture? Cultures which never interacted each other, which, which originally were, were developing independently from one another, strangely enough, all came up with the same definition for masculinity. All came up with similar ideas. And, and it's this idea from the left, even Scott Galloway, who she's going to talk about later, who's the one guy on the left that's actually saying similar things, but it's okay because he's still a leftist, right? Is that this idea that, well, you know, masculinity is a social construct. I, I love this magical term now where if you call something a social construct, that means it's purely artificial and that we can we can adapt it however we want. Is, is there a social component to masculinity? Yes, is there, is there constructs within society based off of masculinity? Yes. Are they purely social in the sense that a bunch of people got together as the, as the majority and just said, hey, this is what masculinity is? Or could it be that after thousands upon thousands of years of recorded human history and interaction, again, among civilizations that developed independently from one another, when all of a sudden a certain common thread shows up that tends to define the way males are expected to operate within society, that maybe, just maybe, this is more than just social construction, like out of thin air. Maybe it's rooted in something that is truly biological. Maybe there's a reason. You might argue that we evolved this way. I would argue that we were created this way that has something to tell us about the nature of masculinity. And and this is the part that I don't understand why it is so difficult for the left to grasp because they love to talk about toxic masculinity in these broad terms. It's aggression. It's a capacity for violence. No, it isn't. 
aggression and a capacity for violence, competitiveness, a, a, a desire to lead. None of these attributes have an inherent moral connotation to them in the sense that they're toxic or not toxic. Their capabilities, their attributes, they can be used for good, they can be used for ill. If a man runs up on, a, on an old woman, beats her and takes her purse, that is a negative manifestation of certain male attributes, namely aggression and a capacity for violence. However, almost guaranteed what will happen next is that if you don't have a completely emasculated society is another man who witnesses such a thing happen will then display aggression and a capacity of violence in order to stop that man and protect that woman. No longer in New York City because when you do that, you get prosecuted. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, and I, again, that gets into the whole crisis of masculinity is that men are being shamed into not demonstrating who they are. Well, this is the point too, is like the, the way, a, the way a left leaning woman describes this, this, this imagery is ridiculous. Well, we, we all know it's ridiculous, but it's dealing with an underlying problem. It, it's always the idea of the problem that we're seeing within masculinity certainly has nothing to do with left wing political, social, economic, you know, philosophy it had nothing to do with that. It's all just an inherent problem within men themselves and specifically right wing political philosophy or social philosophy, right? That's where the problem resists. And as much as we find this all ridiculous, as much as we, the enlightened left understand that this is all stupid and we shouldn't even have to contend with it. The practical nature of it is we had better. Otherwise it's going to cost us problems in the future and not allow us to continue to push left wing ideology to the extent that we think it should be. Right. This is the whole, like for me, as I read through this, and this is a lot, we're not even going to get to this entire article. As I read through this, this was the constant drumbeat that I heard was like, oh gosh, well, I guess we have to drag along these Neanderthals and find something for them to do within society. As if men haven't been integral to actually building and protecting society from the very beginning of human history. Like how condescending. Not to mention the fact that again, lady, I got news for you. I'm the guy that's trying to protect you, right? Me, I'm the guy that you're condescending, arrogant, and, and quite frankly, a little bit hateful toward. And I still see it as my prime directive to provide a society which pro will protect your ability to say all of these things about me and, and to be able to flourish and live your life to include to live it in ways that I don't necessarily agree with or think is good. But I respect your right as an individual to be able to live that way. Now, I may be willing because I, I feel like the mandate on masculinity is not simply biological or, or evolutionary in nature. I feel it's divine, right? Because I believe God created man and women, because I believe that there are certain responsibilities that I have by the very nature of being a man, I'm going to do my best to fulfill those regardless of whether or not you insult me as I do it. What you need to understand is that at the same time that you are criticizing that aspect of masculinity, which is, oh, by the way, absolutely necessary for a peaceful and ordered society. You are also discouraging the sort of theological convictions, which requires me to carry out my responsibilities, regardless of whether or not I'm shown any appreciation for it. You may, you, you describe guys like me as essentially a schmuck and the guys that don't share my convictions are watching this and they're watching Andrew Tate and they're saying, 
man, this guy, this guy, Nick Freitas is an idiot. He wants to defend this woman. He wants to create a sort of society that defends her despite the fact that she's trashing us. Why would we do that? Let's give her exactly the sort of society that she wants. She's not going to like the results. Nick, not everybody has your morality. Um, uh, because y- you know, you say well, it's that not even, it's, still, it's not even mine. We're, we're talking about not everyone subscribes I, I, I to this. It's not yours, but, but what, what I'm saying is, is that like, you're saying it's still my responsibility to like stand up and protect somebody like her. A lot of young men are, are basically being told, um, you know, you have a responsibility to go out there and, 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 you know, provide for and, and protect and serve in some ways. These people who hate you. Five minutes ago, I was accused of oppressing people like her. And now I'm being asked to fulfill certain obligations in society in order to um, protect people like her from the people that are becoming radicalized and are, 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 you know, that, that she's complaining about in this article. Absolutely not. Why on earth? Why on earth should I lay down my life for somebody who hates me? I mean, do you want to know the answer? Yeah. Christ. Because it's exactly what he did. Ooh. That's why. That's why I have that imperative. That is why I have that imperative. And, 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 and again, it's, it's not because I can perfectly live up to that, but because it's the example that's been given to me. Now here's, now here's the encouraging part of that narrative because right now it just sounds frustrating. Why do I have to endure pain and suffering? And most importantly, and the thing that's probably the most difficult for us, it's not the pain and suffering, it's the mockery. Why do I have to endure mockery for the person that I'm trying to actually save and protect? Because Christ did it for us first. That's why. That's why you have to do it. And because that single element within history has been the most powerful motivator in human history since it happened more so than anything else because it does have the capacity to to essentially change hearts and minds with the respect to how they look at interaction and how they look at at everything from morality to society to our individual roles there within that's why that's why i have that imperative and that's why nothing that anybody can say or do to me absolves me of that responsibility that's why Let's look at this next part. I have a quick question here yeah. from Andrew Beeman on the MTA chat. He says, do you think that the postmodernist unwillingness to admit that biology has an impact on the definition of masculinity? Wait, so wait, wait, wait. Start, start from the beginning. Yeah. Say it one more time. Do you think that the postmodernist unwillingness to admit that biology has an impact on the definition of masculinity is rooted in their need for there to be no absolutes? Yes. I, I, well, I, I think it's um, so. Here's what I think is interesting. Again, when you when you look at postmodernism and the way it actually inter, intersects with with critical theory, I I don't necessarily believe that it was um, like a requirement of postmodernism or critical theory to go down the whole sexual identity route. Um, I think it is a logical conclusion. It didn't have to be that conclusion, but I think it's a logical conclusion because part of what this is is critical theory believes in this idea of the, the current society that we live in is defined by oppressor and, and oppressed. And the oppressor has set up institutions and cultural norms and what Gramsci referred to as a kind of like social common sense, which in, informs and permeates all of society. And so if you want to take that down and replace it with the ideal Marxist society, right? 
then you have to supplant what is with something else. Well, how do you do that, right? You're, you're still limited within the framework that, that you have available to you. One of the ways was critical race theory. It was the idea that we're going to take an immutable characteristic, that being race, and we're going to use this to make it the primary you know, um, um, attack point rather than economic status. Because one of the things that, that free market economies did within representative governments is that it allowed for upward economic mobility regardless of the class you were born into or your skin color or things like that. And so it didn't serve a, as a good way to convince people to adopt you know, Marxist style theory, even if it wasn't pure Marxism, right? Just like that socialist theory of, of life and society. So one was race, critical race theory. The other was had to do with sex, right? So it was the idea of, of sexism and feminism and whatnot. And, and there's a reason why feminism so quickly became a, a, a very dedicated, le- you know, arm of, of left-wing political ideology. It was no longer about equality before the law. It, it was about more deep-seated you know, discussions with respect to the proper role of men and women within society and how they related to one another. And now you see the same thing with sexual identity. So it's, it's this combination of, of immutable characteristics or in the case of sexual identity, completely fluid characteristics. There's like, there's no, there's, there's, there was objectivity to sex. There is objectivity to race, right? There's objectivity in the sense that you, you are, you are either um, a particular race or you're not. You are either a particular sex or you're not. Well, now they've completely unseated that because the most important thing was not, you know, uh, establishing problems between um, women and men because that's still a, a 50-50 dynamic. Now with with sexual identity, like the, there there is, <laughs> you want to talk about no absolute truth in society, there, there really isn't anymore. And now that you can essentially identify as anything along the spectrum, and the only way for you is to leave the the oppressor category into the oppressed category is to select some something within the LGBTQ plus community. I mean, that tells me a lot about what's driving some of this. It's a social contagion in many respects to avoid yeah. being labeled an oppressor. Yeah. Because the oppressors are the evil bad people. And you know what? Eventually, people are going to come to the conclusion that if all of society is simply power structures between oppressed and oppressed uh, in oppressor classes, I'll tell you what, I'm sure as hell not going to be oppressed. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm seeing a lot of comments in the article, or, or, um, a, a lot of comments in the chat um, of people saying, well, I'm not religious. That argument that Nick made doesn't, doesn't, doesn't apply to me or, 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 or I don't buy it. And then there's other people that are like, I'm uh, Nick, I'm only human. I, I, you can only poke the bear so many times before the bear, you know, well, no, the, the question is not, so, back so here, here's the other problem. Here's the other problem, right? The idea is, is that, like, so for the, for those that don't say they're religious, okay, you're not religious. I'm telling you what I think is true. And I'll be honest with you on what I think is true and why maybe we'll do a whole episode one time on why I think philosophically, epistemologically, scientifically, historically, this is true. Um, but, but even if you, even if you don't, let's say, even if you don't necessarily agree with the historicity of it, or you don't believe that, that Christ was who he claimed to be. Right, even if you think that this is just myth, um, I think the important thing to understand is that there, there's a lot of things that you can actually draw meaningful conclusions from. Right, we we all understand the value of sacrifice for someone that we love and care about. We all understand actually the value of sacrifice for society in general, even if at times they're fighting against you. Um, the the question is is that what is what is our role to that? Now, is our role to just sit there and get beat up and and stoically provide protection and everything else despite all the odds. That's not what I'm saying. All right. There is definitely, there is definitely a time like the, 
again, the, the left-wing version of Jesus is is nice, happy, care bearer, Barney the dinosaur Jesus. And that is not an accurate representation. Again, go read Revelations. But even before that, you can go look at the attitude within the temple. All right, the, the, the money changers in the temple, you can look at that within modern society. Look look at this as a and I'm not I'm not making a theological argument here, right? I'm just saying that you you can draw certain metaphors or you can draw certain similarities. It's time to there, flip there, some there tables. Were, there were people, there were people that were desecrating the temple in such a way that they caused such an element of righteous indignation and disgust that it actually caused Christ to go in, flip over tables, and he kicked people out of the temple. Now, am I saying this is is like I'm advocating for you know violent gay go up to no, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that understand that this is not I'm not encouraging people to just sit there and take it and stoically do it no matter how much they beat you. No, you should be rejecting this ideology. You should be rejecting this. That's part of the reason why we do this podcast is not only discover and, and discuss the flaws within this way of thinking, but to actually provide an alternative. But the one thing that you're going to have to understand is that if your view of society is it is so far gone that we just got to burn it all down, it's your own family that's going to be caught up in the flames. You have to fight, all right? And, and there's going to be people that actually benefit from you fighting that maybe don't deserve it. But to fight for what is true and for what is just is to necessarily create beneficiaries who don't deserve it. And if nothing else, you you've got to preserve. You've got to preserve. You, you know, if not just if not just what is true and what is right and what is just, but also your own family and the people that you care about in the process. I, I don't. I don't see an alternative. I've, 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 I've tragically. It is worth pointing out that for many of these young men. They don't have families. And what do no. you do then? Well, again, when, when they have nothing to lose. So this is, this is where I go back to, I think we're having two different conversations here. One conversation is what should be done. And one conversation is what do I think will be done? Now, and I, those I, two things I have a feeling are very different. I've been to war, man. I have seen what happens. I have seen what happens when people feel like they got nothing to lose. I've seen what happens when people operate off of fear. I've seen what happens when people operate off of unbridled passions and a, and a quest for power. I, I've seen this stuff. I don't got to worry. I don't got to wonder about it. I mean, honestly, I don't want to be in, insulting here, but I, I have sometimes when people will throw me comments and I'm like, dude, you want to stack up what you've seen versus what I've seen? Let's do this. Let's play this game. I'm down. And some people have, but a lot of people haven't. And, and all I'm telling you, is what I feel obligated to have to do and fight for and defend. And, and somebody, look, somebody left a comment in here. Let me, let me track that. We got I a saw the, fir yeah, yeah. the first um, donation. Yeah. And Empereb said, Nick, you can't share the ball with the left via protecting them. They won't show you mercy. They will kill you. I, I think Honestly, part of me agrees with that. I think sentiment. you need to understand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying you excuse behaviors that you find reprehensible or maybe even a threat. I'm not saying you excuse that. I am saying that I am, I am obligated to protect certain elements within society in, in part because it is necessary to protect my own family and the people I love. Because you're right, some men don't have a family, but most of us have people we care about. On some level, we have people that we care about. And then we should have other things, which, which may be more esoteric, which may be more philosophical, but we should have certain principles that we care about and that we're willing to defend. And there will at times be beneficiaries of your sacrifice that are not worthy of it. Yeah. 
But that doesn't mean the sacrifice itself isn't worthy. Here's, here's my question. Here's my question. If all this is about is lining up the people that we feel have wronged us and saying, you're going to pay. And in order to make you pay, we are willing to burn down everything we care about. We are that mad. We are that vengeful. I am telling you, you are not going to like what comes out of that society. You're not going to like what comes out of that, that action. My, my argument that I am, I am trying to make and I'm trying to live by is that the thing that really changes people, the, the thing that changes people who are willing to be convinced, and I, and I still believe that there are a lot of people that are willing to be convinced, the thing that really changes them is when they see somebody stand up for something that is bold and noble and they're willing to stand against the tide in order to do it. That has always been the case. There's a reason why pretty much every movie, like when, when you watch Lord of the Rings, right? And you're and you're watching the you're watching the third episode where it's it's there and he and he looks back, right? And they're completely surrounded by the armies of Mordor, right? And he looks back and he goes, for Frodo, and he runs into certain death because it's the only thing they can do to give him enough time to destroy the ring, right? Right? There's a reason why when we look at that and we're like, man, we don't we don't say he just wasted his life. What was the point of any of that? No, he was fighting for something that he that he knew was worth it, and he wasn't sure of the outcome. But he was going to be the person to display courage at a time when courage was needed in order to inspire others to do something in order to achieve something incredible. Yeah. And we can't lose that. This cannot all be about revenge. The moment it is, we lose. Because quite frankly, that is what their ideology is rooted in. So speaking of that, there's a hilarious question from Brian Betts. Question. How are you going to try to explain the left's plan for masculinity when you don't understand it at all? Even make up lies about it. Okay, listen here, Brian. <laughs> First off, I didn't write this article. Yeah. Nick did not write this article. We are reading an article from a leftist talking about the left's plan for masculinity. And and we, I, Nick, I know this is going to be a long-running episode, but we, we do need to get through more of the article. But before we do... This guy needs to be schooled for a second, okay? <laughs> Nobody here is lying about anything. We are reading verbatim, word for word, from one of the few leftists that wants to admit there's a problem. But the problem is, no pun intended, that this person has no freaking clue what they're talking about. They do not know why there's a crisis with masculinity in the first place. So for you to come around and say that we're lying about what the left is saying tells me everything I need to know about you. Well, there you go. All right, I need I need to respond to Sick Boy real quick. Thank you for the donation. He goes, guys, how about a new trade deal? You stop the export of left woke commie Marxist ideas to us, and in return, we will offer you some OG family societal values. Great work, guys from India. <laughs> Sick Boy, all right, yeah, point taken, point taken. Yeah, I, I, I would just I'll just add up to that real quick with uh, um, with with Brian. So I guess me standing up to your lies makes me more masculine than you. I, when the left can actually tell me what a man is, I'll, I'll take it more seriously. And, and, and again, people look at that as a cheap shot, but why? Why is it when the left can't tell me what a woman is, when the left can't tell me what a man is, when they can't fix any definition other to it than someone that identifies that way, you guys can't come up with, with objective criteria of what this, what this means. So let, let's, but to your point, to your point, let's skip down in the article and let's, let's finally get to the point um, where they, they start to talk about what the left wing, uh, what the left response to masculinity is all right and this, this goes way down long, long article and it goes under a new script for men it goes if the right has overcorrected to an old-fashioned and somewhat hostile vision of masculinity 
Again, an overly generalized view of what the right is saying about masculinity. Many progressives have ignored the opportunity to sell men on a better vision of what they can be. All right. In the conversations I had with men for this essay, I kept hearing that many would still find some kind of normative standard of masculinity meaning and useful, meaningful and useful, if only to give them a starting point from which to expand. Scott Galloway agrees. On his podcast and in his newsletter, the author, entrepreneur, and professor at New York University's Stern Business School has made a specialty of talking about the crisis of unattached, rudderless young men and helping them aspire to more. On a Zoom call with me from his home in London, Professor G, as he's known on his enorm- uh eponymous show reclined biceps bulging from his fitted shirt as he clasped his hands behind his shaven head periodically unfolded to push the snout of his large dog out of frame i mean there are certain attributes around masculinity that we should embrace men think about sex more than women use that as motivation to be successful and meet women men are more impulsive men will run out into a field and get shot up to think they are saving their buddies he was careful to point out that he doesn't believe that women wouldn't do as much but that the distributions are different Where I think this conversation has come off the tracks is where being a man is essentially trying to ignore all masculinity and act more like women. And even some women who say that, they don't want to have sex with those guys. They may believe they're right and think it's a good narrative, but they don't want to partner with them. I, a heterosexual woman, cringed in recognition. Right? So here's my issue. Some of the things Scott Galloway is saying there, um, I don't necessarily agree with. I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit, I, I've always had a problem with this idea of let's use sex as a motivation for men to be better. I, I think we should actually use sex within the confines of a, of a committed married relationship. But a, again, when you just, when you kind of completely unhinge it like that, like, oh, let's use sex as a motivator. That sounds a little bit more Tate than it does Peterson to me. But the, 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 he acknowledges and she acknowledges that she's recognizing that, yeah, we don't, yeah, women, feminist women even, don't want men to be feminized versions of themselves. They may want certain acknowledgement or certain attributes to be more developed within men. Okay, fair enough. But if they're honest, they don't want feminized men. He goes back to Galloway. And so men should think, I want to take advantage of my maleness. I want to be aggressive. I want to set goals, go hard at it. I want to be physically really strong. I want to take care of myself. Galloway leaned into the screen. My view is that for masculinity, a decent place to start is garnering the skills and strength that you can advocate for and protect others with. If you're really strong and smart, you will garner enough power, influence, kindness to begin protecting others. That's it. Full stop. Real men protect other people. Now, here's what I'll say. I don't have a problem with any of that. I don't have a problem with any of that. But here's what I'll also tell you. You don't get to tell me that that's left's vision for masculinity. That may be Scott Galloway's vision. That may be one leftist man or, or a couple leftist men on, on th- that are acknowledging that this should be a good thing for men to embrace. You don't get to tell me that this is the predominant theme within leftist concepts of masculinity. Speaking of this, I, I, I want to read off uh, just a couple lines from a few paragraphs above where we're at. Because yeah. there, was a, there was a segment in this uh, opinion piece. It's a long opinion piece. There was this segment of this opinion piece that, quite frankly, was just stunning in, in terms of go ahead and read it all um uh she's talking about the mainstream reluctance to define or speak up for men and um she's mentioning you know some of the again college students in their 20s that that are privately admitting that like i feel like that you know it's okay to embrace femininity but you can't embrace masculinity and there's no positive real uh, role models for men and um and then she goes on to say 
um, this one student, he got candid. He doesn't really identify with the manosphere, but he told he can't, uh, he can understand why others might. I feel like there's a, uh, there's a lot of room to be proudly feminine, but there's not, in my opinion, the same room to be proudly masculine. Men were constantly told to be better and less toxic, he said. But what that better might look like seemed hard to pin down. You pretty much have to figure it out for yourself. But yet society still has the, the expectation that, you know, you have to be a certain way. And then he turned uh, um, uh, wistful. I don't feel like men in general have the same type of role models that women do, even in their own personal lives. Just because you're in the majority doesn't mean you don't need support. And then she goes on to say, technically, men are slightly in the minority in the United States. But apart from that, Bray had a point. And that he explained a lot about why the left and the mainstream are losing men. And then she goes on and explains some stuff that like Barack Obama was trying to do with like setting up these government yeah. programs to help men and how he was getting pushback from his own party for yeah. doing it. Um, but then it actually gets way worse. I mean, she's talking about basically how the left is is completely you know hesitant to to even recognize the existence of men, let alone that they that that there's a problem with them at all. Um, so, for example, she says one Democratic strategist told me how specific references to men in political speeches are often stripped out out of fear of offense or to signal broader inclusivity. A father staying up late worrying about losing his job, for instance, used to be an illustrative example about a speech for healthcare. It's now been turned into a nonspecific parent. Another strategist described his party as having almost an allergy to admitting that some men might, in fact, be struggling in a unique way that could benefit from their own tailored solution and aid. And then it goes on to say, I mean, it, it's, it's just incredible what, what she says here. To the extent that any vision of non-toxic masculinity is proposed, it ends up sounding something like stereotypical femininity than anything else. Guys should learn to be more sensitive, quiet, and socially apt, seemingly overnight. It's the equivalent of learn to code as a solution for those struggling to adjust to a new economy, simultaneously hectoring, dismissive, and jejun. And, and, and like, I mean, there, there was well, a she, line she, here that just she goes, infuriated She goes on, me. the thing is, the thing is, I get it. I understand the reluctance to spend time worrying about men. And I say that as someone who loves them as friends, romantic partners, and members of my family. Justifiably, progressives want to preserve the major gains for women over the past several decades. Gains that are still fragile. It's easy to mistake. Attention is zero sum. To fear that putting effort toward helping men might... Uh, might mean we won't have space for women anymore. But th the point is, is that like I, I appreciate that she's finally opening up and listening to some people that tend to be left of center. Because again, if they're on the right, they're obviously have misogynist, uh, misogynistic intentions, right? They can't possibly be genuinely trying to address these concerns as well and just have some different ideas about how they originated and how to solve them. No, no, no. They're just jerks. And that the fact that some left men that she likes are, are, are hinting at this, even though they're really, really cautious in what they say, well, well, maybe that's worthy of some introspection, which you know what? I, I will give her that. I, I will give her that. I, there's so much of this article, which I felt has been very, very condescending. Uh, oh, you want to talk about condescending? Well, wait, and wait, no, no, I want to talk about this right now. There's been a lot of this that has been condescending, but I'm going to give her credit. For at least, look, if she's not willing to listen to Jordan Peterson, if she's not willing to listen to Josh Hawley, if she's not willing to listen, fine. Some of the stuff that Scott Galloway is saying is effectively addressing some of the issues that are out there and is providing some good advice. The problem that I have, and I'll, I'll read this too from Reeves, who is the other person. Reeves, in our earlier conversation, to put it somewhat more subtly, I try to raise my boys, he has three, to have the confidence to ask a girl out if that's their inclination, the grace to accept no for an answer, and the responsibility to make, that, uh, make sure that either way she gets home safely. Again, 
no problem with, with that definition of masculinity. The problem is, is that it seems like a lot of these guys, you know, again, this is the same guy that said earlier, and he wasn't a parent at the time, but you know, how do, how do I explain proper masculinity? How do I explain this, this to him? And the moment you do do this, like when, when they say these things, is it anybody on the right that's coming out and saying that's garbage? That's ridiculous. It's that's the stupid. left. It's the left. This is a problem within their side of the political um, spectrum. She actually articulates in this article the 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 woke left's perception of masculinity. There's a paragraph here that probably made me more angry than anything else. Okay. And she said, what ends up happening is that if women are still seen as needing tools to overcome disadvantage, men are often expected to just shape up by themselves. For a group that can be focused to a fault on addressing microaggressions, it's surprisingly acceptable for those on the left to victim blame men who are struggling themselves. So we should just let men off the hook? Maybe we should give them electroshock therapy for their hysteria, a progressive female friend of mine joked when I told her about this essay. I just want to say to that progressive female friend, screw you. <laughs> screw you. That mindset is the reason why society is disintegrating right now. And you know what? Nick men Nick mentioned that he has a moral compass that 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 demands protection and support for people that are vulnerable, there's a lot of men that are looking at stuff like that comment and they're saying, burn it all to the ground. We can rebuild the houses afterwards. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't think you're wrong. There are two super chat comments that I want to get to real quick. Yeah, One please. from Wookie Knight. I think that's how you say it. He says, have started to find my faith and on the road, to hopefully becoming a better man. You are one of the reasons for this and I wanted to say thank you. Well, I mean, I... I Honestly, I can't think of a, of a nicer compliment. So thank you very much for watching and thank you for participating and thank you for the donation. But um, yeah, I, I'll just leave it at that, man. I, I can't think of it's a better, awesome. I can't think of a better compliment. I really appreciate it. Uh, from my urban garden, why don't men serve each other more? Most of the homeless Republican men, uh, most of the homeless. No, no, no. Most of the homeless are men. Are men. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but very few serve in shelters. Many men suffer from substance abuse, but few offer sobriety support. Boys suffer more academically, but there are few men tutors. No, I, I think that's, I, I look, I think all of that is entirely legitimate. Um, I, I would say one of the other biggest problems that we have within society that has really started to manifest ever since the 1970s is fatherless homes. And, and if you want to look at one of the biggest problems with respect to criminal activity, with respect to substance abuse, with respect to, to other forms of abuse, a, a lack of a positive male role model in the house is, is one of the key contributing factors so I, I, I would say that one of the things, again, I've gotten in trouble this, for this before, where I've kind of been like, hey, men, we, it's, it's time for us to buck up and do our job. And it's like, well, look at everything that's going I get it. I, I get that in so many cases there, there, are, there is a lack of ideal conditions or that things have gotten progressively worse than, say, from when I was in my 20s. But, but the question I always ask back is, okay, but what are we going to do about it? If, if what we're going to do about it is, is get angry and then, and then ask, you know, again, why, you know, complain about what feminism have done or what progressivism has done or what wokeism has done. Okay, it, it may be fine and it may be actually worthwhile to come up with, with actually intellectually honest and rigorous critiques of the aspects within those ideologies that we think are harmful and bad. But the real question is, is okay, so what's the alternative? And, and we, we've said this numerous times. You can point to a lie all day long. You can make a good argument for why something is the lie. But then if you're not correspondingly pointing to the truth, you don't give anyone somewhere to go. And people will reside with an uncomfortable lie before they give it up for an unknown. 
And so you're spot on. Part of the answer in a lot of this starts first and foremost in the home with the father staying as the father, right? And and also conducting themselves because people will also point out, well, yeah, but women divorce, women can take the kids. I, I get that. I get that. But one of the one of the best ways to prevent things like that from happening is to A, be careful who you sleep with. You know, don't, don't, as a man, don't use sex as the primary motivator for what you do the way that, again, some of these people, whether it be Scott Galloway or Andrew Tate are suggesting, you know, actually invest in making yourself the sort of person that is going to attract the sort of woman of, of strong moral character that you're, you want to raise kids with, and then be the sort of husband and be the sort of father within that environment that creates the sort of environment that no woman would ever want to leave. Now, there, there's always situations that may happen beyond your control, and I understand that, and I'm not negating that, but that's the first place to start. You always start with the things that you can control, not the things that you can't. And then if you're actually creating strong homes, where as a husband and as a father, you are modeling an example both for your sons and your daughters. You're, 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 you're teaching your daughters that they, that they are loved, and they, you're not creating the sort of daddy issues that causes them to go out and look for acceptance in, in, in the arms of either another man or an ideology which is bad for them. You're raising your sons in such a way that they have respect for the women they're going out there and, and potentially wanting to interact with because they've seen the sort of respect you've demonstrated toward their mother. Right, that your, your young daughter is yearning for that sort of respect and love that you demonstrated toward her mother. This, this is where it starts. And then after that, once you've, once you've got your house in order, you're also looking for, okay, how do I export these qualities or how do I export these attributes to where it's desperately needed within society? And that could be tutoring. That could be coaching. That, that could be working in a, in a host of either church groups or civic organizations or, or mentoring groups. But you're, you're absolutely right. There does need to be more of men coming alongside to assist other men. But I, I, I believe that most, again, if you want to do a, a, a better job of addressing, we have to address the problems that we currently have that exist as a result in many respects of fatherless homes. But the most important job I think that we have first and foremost is we have to get our own houses in order. So that, that, that's how I would answer that. But I, I thank you very much for the question. Um, One more super chat from the yeah. Professor Keen. If women want to get a good man, tell them to model themselves after Miss Freitas. <laughs> no, I, I, I will say, I will say right now, um, the, the one of the things that attracted me to Tina uh, when we, we were in high school together, we met our freshman year. We didn't start dating to our senior year. Um, and again, the moment I saw Tina, I was instantly attracted. But I was also like, well, she's way out of my league. That's never going to happen. Um, now. One of the things that like totally sealed the deal for me, though, to some degree, was, was um, it wasn't just it wasn't just her her you know looks or her beauty or whatnot. I, I remember I remember specific times where she was willing to stand up um, to you know the the popular kids or the popular girls or whatever it was when she thought something was wrong, um, and, and she was willing to stand on it. And she wasn't she wasn't really concerned for what the social consequences of that were. She was concerned for what she thought was right at the time. And she would stick up for people that no one would stick up for. And, and to me, I found that in, in amazingly attractive because of that sense of moral clarity and because of the willingness to actually endure ridicule uh, in order to stand up for what she thought was right. And, and to me, that, that spoke so intimately to what her character was. Um, 
that that was someone that, you know, I, I, I could see building a life with. So, I, I mean, again, to that, to that comment, uh, I mean, thank you very much for the, for the compliment to Tina, but there, there is absolute an, an element of, of truth in there that this is, you know, we, we were talking on, on the last podcast. I know we're a little bit off a, off a topic here, but this is, I think this is important because this does kind of show like, okay, what's the alternative to all this? Um, Tina will tell you that one of the things that she was attracted to with me was again, um, you know, it, it wasn't just trying to project masculinity in, in like a physical sense. It's not like I was a huge dude or anything like that in, in high school or whatnot, but I, you know, tried to keep in shape and whatnot. But um, it was also this idea that um, I, I had this sense of, you know, right and wrong and I wanted to stand by it. And, and she talks about, she always admired that. She respected that. And so I, I do think that there's this, there's this element of, um, Again, for men, it, it is very important that you do develop yourself, you know, spiritually, physically, emotionally, intellectually, um, and then from just a, a capability standpoint, what what can you do as you're as you're focused on developing these things? Um, you you are putting yourself into a, a a a tier that is going to attract the sort of woman that you want to marry. But then once you're developing those things, you also have to put yourself in the environments to where you're most likely to find the sort of women you want to marry, not just the sort of women you want to sleep with. And this is again, one of the problems that I have with some of the stuff Scott Galloway is, is saying. It's this idea of, well, okay, well sex motivates men. So, all right, good. Use that motivation to make yourself better. And that way you can go out and, and, and sleep with a woman, but Hey, treat her with respect, but we're all liberated now. So there's, there's no problems or consequences associated with that. That's garbage. But it can be a good motivation, right? It's a good motivation provided that it's sought after within the proper framework, right? If it's just this idea, you can, you can accomplish all sorts of, of good and noble characteristics for ignoble purposes. And, and that's, that's one of the things that I find missing with this is that if you go and you read more about Scott Galloway, everything he's saying within this article, nobody on the right has a problem with. Nobody on the right has a problem with this idea of, hey, you know, be physically fit, be capable and, and be a protector, be the sort of person that wants to gain power and influence and knowledge so that you can protect others. That's, we totally buy into that. We totally buy into that. That, 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 that fits perfectly with the right wing version of masculinity. If the author was, was truly concerned about understanding it as opposed to finding ways to just denigrate it by the same token, I don't accept the notions that he talks about in other articles where he's like, well, the real problem here is, well, you know, we're, we're post-industrialized world and there's softer skill sets now and men just haven't found their place in the rugged physicality that used to define their masculinity. I, I, I'm sorry. Yes, they're, they're, we don't have as many people having to participate in war and conflict. We don't have as many people that are, are needed for heavy industrial jobs that were largely reliant on, on physical prowess. Right? But that doesn't mean that developing those capabilities with respect to, again, physical prowess are no longer necessary within society, if nothing more than to keep those who would be tempted to use violence against the innocent at bay. And, and that's the problem is I look at some of the things that Reeves and some of the things that Galloway are saying, and, and, and Galloway's notion is that, well, the real problem here is that the government stopped being overly involved in the economy and stopped investing more in trade school things. And if only we did more of this, and if only we had more government programs for young men, we'd be in better shape. Bullcrap. Like it, again, he's never willing to, he's never, he doesn't, I shouldn't say never, 
from what I read, he doesn't seem willing to, to analyze whether or not the whole idea of government intervention, not only the economy from a regulatory perspective, but also from the perspective that we're going to set up a whole bunch of welfare programs and the government will now take care of women and children, not men. You know, it's, it's all fine and good to talk about the women that are doing better economically within the society, and that's fine, and I applaud that. But what about the women who are not doing better economically? It's just that they've realized that by divorcing their husband, they can actually make more money from the government than they will based off of what the husband is actually making within the economy. Does that actually lead to a better societal outcome? Does that actually lead to a society where more men understand what genuinely good masculine traits are? Or does it lead to more toxicity? And oh, by the way, are we actually going to talk about toxicity within feminine characteristics? Somebody just commented that. Because last time I checked, there are attributes associated with masculinity and there are attributes associated with femininity. These are not merely social constructs. They're based off of observations on human interaction and activity over thousands of years of history. I would argue that you also find themselves within, again, it, it, you may not be motivated by theology. I am. I believe Christianity is true, and so therefore what it has to say about men and women is relevant to me. I think it's relevant to society at whole, whether you believe it or not. But the whole point is, is that we have to recognize that those attributes generally associated with masculinity or femininity have positive and negative outcomes. They have positive manifestations. They have negative manifestations. And that's what this real conversation should be about. How are we uplifting the positive manifestations of masculinity and femininity and how are we, I mean, for lack of a better term, stigmatizing the more negative outworkings. But instead, what we're generally treated to by the left is an overgeneralization of certain characteristics, whether it be aggression, whether it be competitiveness, whether it be a capacity of violence, that these things are toxic and must be mitigated or feminized. I disagree. Apparently, we have some people that are more politically associated with the left, like Scott Galloway, who I, I disagree with I, I disagree with him not appreciating that certain aspects of left-wing ideology, I believe, led us to this position. And if you're not willing to address that, if you're simply just going to say, okay, well, all of these things were good, but these guys feel left behind, so let's do something for them too, and the way we're going to do it is through more government, I've got a problem with that approach. I think it actually misunderstands that it was that government intrusion that in some cases actually contributed to this problem. I don't think it's fair to, to suggest that, you know, as one article is that linked to in this post, that how do we fight back against the bullies that insist on a gender binary? I, I'm sorry, but me believing that there's such a thing as men and women and not prescribing to this idea of 172 genders doesn't make me a bully. So that's going to be the problem. But here, here's, I'm going to make a prediction. Because while, you know, the author of this article goes on to say, and again, I'm giving credit where credit is due. She goes, this tracked with my intuitions about what good masculinity might look like, the sort that I actually admire, the sort that women I know find attractive but often can't seem to find at all. It also aligns with what a, the young, many young men I spoke with would describe as aspirational. Once they finally felt safe enough to admit, they did, in fact, carry an ideal of manhood with its own particular features. She's willing to admit this, and she's even willing to, to potentially say that there's some positives with this. I'm going to predict, and I hope I'm wrong, I'm going to predict that the men who talked about it, Reeves, specifically Reeves and Scott Galloway, that within five years they will either be red-pilled or they will be apologizing for the things they said in this article. It'll be one of those two. They're, they're either going to get canceled 
Or they're going to be speaking at a turning point conference saying, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. Because I didn't leave the I, left. The left left me. Because, again, she is offering this up as a potential map out of the wilderness, which, again, if you look at some of the core components of here, physical strength, capability, the desire to protect, it's no different than what Jordan Peterson said. The difference is, is that Jordan Peterson has a lot more academic research to back up what he's saying than a guy that teaches marketing. But it doesn't matter. She's going to go with the guy that teaches marketing because he happens to be on the left and agrees with her on leftist political and economic doctrine. But it's not radically different, which is why I don't think it's going to find a, a home in the left. Now, I will say this. I hope it does. I hope I'm wrong. You're, but I don't think it's going to find a place in the left. You're not wrong. You're, you're not wrong. The, the revolution will never stop, at least until they break the system. Because it, everything will always be a good first step. It, men will always be trash. Mm -hmm. it, 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 I mean, you saw we did a we did an episode on this a while ago, um, like like a week or two ago, and we played a clip from the whatever podcast, and and she Guevara over there was like, <laughs> oh yeah, the left's uh, message for masculinity is cancel all men, you know, yeah. force castration and feminization, like like that is what the left is offering. I mean that that, that that's an exaggeration that an, of what the left is offering. But, that was an extreme version, but it's but. It, it, I, I don't think that's literally what they're offering, but that is metaphorically what they're offering. Yeah, they're they're offering feminized, emasculated, you know, a, a feminized, emasculated version of masculinity, and that's never going to work. It's never going to work. And and anybody who who dares criticize the march of progress will get canceled for doing so, or they will be forced to apologize, or both. Right? And yeah. and I. The, the, These people are not going to like where, where things are going to be going. They're, they're not going to like it because for every one of you out there, Nick, there's, there's dozens of people that have no problem, like I said earlier, with saying, burn the whole village to the ground. We can always rebuild the houses. But you know what? We can't rebuild civilization. That takes hundreds, if not thousands of years to construct. And this ideology that the left is selling is going to destroy civilization. Yeah. And if it requires burning the village to the ground in order to preserve the civilization itself, again, we can always rebuild the houses. But I, I you know, and, and to show you just how day late and dollar short this really is, there's a line where she says, I'm convinced that men are in a crisis. Oh, thank the Lord. We finally have at least gotten to, to admitting that there's a problem, right? And I strongly suspect that ending it will require a positive ver uh, vision of what masculinity entails that is particular, that is neither neutral nor interchangeable with femininity. Still, I find myself reluctant to fully articulate one. There's a reason a lot of the writing on the crisis in masculinity ends at the diagnosis stage. And you know what? And there's a reason why the right is monopolizing this because they have no problems pointing out, here's what the solution is. Well, and this is, and Brian Betts, and I'm going to respond to him this time. All right. All right. He says, if anyone, he goes, if anyone want to know what it means to be a man, read Rutyard Kipling if it explains it pretty damn clear. And then he goes on, and then Brian goes on to explain that I'm lying because I'm saying no one on the left can define what a man is. Okay, Brian, here's what I mean by that, right? It's because I appreciate you being here, and I appreciate your comments. I really do. I appreciate that you're, you're actually willing to come into a space where you know the majority of people don't agree with you, and you're willing to offer a, an, an alternative opinion, an alternative insight, and I appreciate that. So here's what I'm going to say. If, if you think, if you think, now I'm, I'm happy that you consider yourself on the left and that you believe that Rutgerd Kipling's um, poem if 
which I, I think is an incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful poem. But if you honestly believe that that is a mainstream view of masculinity on the left, I got to tell you, I, I, I don't buy it, man. And, and now maybe, maybe what you're suggesting is that I was overly generalized in my comment about the left can't even define what, what manhood is or what a man is, period. Okay, great. I'm glad you can. And, and I never meant to imply that there's not a single person on the left that can't define these things. But let's be intellectually honest here about what we're talking about. If I were to go and ask any one of my Democratic colleagues right now in the House of Delegates, what is a woman? There is a 99% chance what they would say is, well, it's someone that defines themselves as a woman. So theoretically, if I asked the same question about a man, they would make the same comment. Not because they honestly believe that, at least not all of them, but because they feel obligated to say so. Well, gosh, from whence does this obligation come? It certainly isn't because of right-wing pressure within society. It's for the same reason that when this, when this journalist wrote this essay, who, who even though there's a lot I disagree with and I find frustrating with respect to how she articulated it, I, I appreciate that she is at least trying to identify a problem and potentially come up with solutions for which there may be some broad appeal across left-right paradigms. What was the response from her friend? Oh, gosh, well, maybe we should all give them psychotherapy to deal with their issues. And, and, and I'm sorry, but if, if you're going to try to convince me that that isn't a common refrain from the left, I'm going to tell you, I, again, I don't buy it. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Because when, it, when, I see, when I see the predominant views within the left and within leftist political theory and social theory, I don't see a lot of room for the Rutgerd Kipling version of what it is to be a man. In fact, there's no room for Rutgerd Kipling. <laughs> I mean, the left would cancel him in a heartbeat. So, so again, I am, I am happy that you, as someone on the left, can read that poem, can look at Kipling and say, I think this provides a pretty good definition of what healthy masculinity looks like. I do not think that would be a widely shared narrative within the left as a whole. Again, I could be wrong, but I highly doubt it in, entirely because I think they would cancel Kipling. Um, all right. We got another uh, super chat message here. How can the left define what a man is when they can't even find what a woman is? And yeah, Professor Keene, that was, that was kind of my point. Like presumably if you can't objectively define what a woman is, then you can't objectively define what a man is. If you can't objectively define these things, well, then how do you objectively define masculinity or femininity? Right? If, if a woman is anybody that defines as a woman and feminine traits are associated with womanhood and we can't define womanhood, how do you effectively define femininity? Right. These are, these are honest questions. And again, I think that there's some people that are intellectually honest on the left that recognize that there's some, there's some intellectual or social problems with this, or they may consider that extreme, an extreme element within their party. What I would say is that it's not extreme. I, I would argue that the thought leaders within leftist ideology are, are not the, the Scott Galloway's. The, the thought leaders within leftist ideology are, are more along the Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, um, you know, wing. I, I just, again, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I am. I don't think I am. I think the evidence supports, I think the evidence supports the generalized claim that I'm making. So this all leads us to, let, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and kind of wrap this up. 
do you want to go to the path forward section of the well the, I mean the last the last because there, there's yeah there's go, a few go paragraphs we, we, let's in here. let's go ahead and go over the path forward here real quickly all right so path forward for all their problems the strict gender roles of the past did give boys a script for how to be a man but if trying to smash the patriarchy has left a vacuum in our ideal of masculinity it also gives us a chance at a fresh start an opportunity to take what is useful from models of the past and repurpose it for boys and men today we can find ways to work with the distinctive traits and powerful stories that already exist risk-taking uh, strength self-mastery protecting providing procreating we can recognize how real and important they are and we can attempt to make them pro-social to help not just men but also women and to support the common good influence on the right have found an audience by recognizing and exaggerating these tropes once again it's the tropes right what else what else in an incel but a stymied procreator by building and identify <laughs> what else is an incel but a stymied procreator building an identity out of his failures who are tucker carlson's tire flipping civilizational guards but the protector made absurd right-wing political figures such as josh holly have clearly latched on many men's desire to provide but their solutions are often 1950s throwbacks that depend on castigating women for providing for themselves my gosh what a what a talk about caricatures what critics miss is that they are, is that if there were nothing valid at the core of these constructs, they wouldn't command this sort of popularity. People need codes for how to be human. And when those aren't easily found, they'll take whatever is offered no matter what else is attached. For the left, there's room to elaborate on visions of these qualities that are expansive, not reductive, that allow for many varieties of masculinity and don't deny female value and agency. In my ideal, the mainstream could embrace a model that acknowledges male uh, particularity and difference, but does not denigrate women to do so. It's a vision of gender that is not androgynous, but still equal and relies on character, not just biology. And it acknowledges that certain themes, protector, provider, even procreator, still resonate with many men and should be worked with, not against. But how to implement it? Frankly, it will be slow. A new masculinity will be a norm shift, and that takes time. The women's movement succeeded in changing structures and aspirations, but the social transformation didn't take place overnight, and empathy will be required as grating as that might feel. It is harder to be a man today, and in many ways that is a good thing. Finally, the freer sex is being held to a higher standard. Even so, not all of the changes that have led us to this moment are, are unequivocally positive, and if left unaddressed, the current confusion of men and boys will have destructive social outcomes in the form of resentment and radicalization. She's not wrong about that in the end the sexes rise and falls together the truth is that most women still want to have intimate relationships with good men and i would argue manly men and even those who don't still want their sons brothers fathers and friends to live good lives the old script for masculinity might be on its way out it's time we replaced it with something better no it's time we restore what used to be true and accepted by everyone in society until five minutes ago there's a line that she, there's two lines that she says here at the very end that just complete when i read them i was like i'm done Thank goodness that at least the article was also done when she says it is harder to be a man today. And in many ways, that's a good thing. Finally, the freer sex is being held to a higher standard. Even then, at the very end of this article, after she brings up all the problems with, with you know, young men today, after bringing up all of the hurdles that they have to overcome now that didn't previously exist, after bringing up all of the societal attacks on them for existing simply as being men, for something that they can't even control about themselves. They didn't get to, they didn't choose what gender to be born into, believe it or not, mm -hmm. right? Like, like, even after all of that, she still has the gall to say, it's harder to be a man today, and in many ways, that's a good thing. Finally, the freer sex is being held to a higher standard. Lady, I've got news for you. You and I are never going to agree on this. That The fact that she concludes with that tells me everything I need to know about her worldview.
And then when she says, even so, not all the changes have led us to this moment are unequivocally positive. You think? And if left unaddressed, the current confusion of men and boys will have destructive social outcomes in the form of resentment and radicalization. Well, at least you admit what's coming. Because the fact that that's your mindset right there, finally, the freer sex is being held to a higher standard. You have reaped the whirlwind and you are going to not, you, 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 you are about to sow what you have reaped and, and reap what you have sowed. I'm sorry. I'm so <laughs> upset right now that I can't even, I can't even articulate. Yes. They, they have sowed the whirlwind and now they're going to reap it. That's what the phrase is. The, 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 the fact of the matter is, is that she admits, yeah, the whole entire feminist movement, women's movement, all this stuff has has basically made for for many young men life like virtually unlivable in in modern society. And that's a good thing. <laughs> How many times have you read uh, uh, news articles from from left wing hack outlets that are talking about terrible movies out there deconstructing all of your favorite tropes and stories all throughout society and being like, oh yeah. We, we totally emasculated all the male heroes in Star Wars, and that's a good thing. Like, like yeah. uh, um, uh, th- th- there's there's YouTubers like, you know, Critical Drinker and stuff like that, and, and Nerd Erotic that, like, mock this, this like, tone that the left takes, yeah. like, when it comes to deconstructing things that used to be good and true and universally accepted by every th- everybody until five minutes ago, and then they'll be like, and that's a good thing. Yeah. I, no, it's not a good thing that you have created a generation of radicalized resentful men that have nowhere to turn but the people that you say are, are evil in this world like like jordan peterson yeah or or, or people that do have questionable uh you know moral compasses like andrew tate like there's a reason that andrew tate is popular there's a reason jordan peterson is popular and for you to denigrate those people relentlessly even when it's not warranted, it is warranted in many cases with Andrew Tate, but even when it's not warranted in the case with Jordan Peterson, and then you are stunned by the fact that it's only the right that's offering a, a, a formula for, for moving forward for young men, you have created a gender imbalance, political, ideological gender imbalance in this country that when the chips are down, you're going to lose. Because it's young men that have built civilizations. It's young men that actually go out there and construct the monuments and the temples and the cities and pave the streets and fight the wars and write the laws. It's young men that have pulled us out of the dirt and created civilization itself. And for you to denigrate them and be like, it's a good thing that we're holding them to a higher standard. No, you're not holding them to a higher standard. You're using them as a scapegoat. Because the power structures the left has constructed in order to pit men against women, white against black, young against old, rich against poor, everything's about oppressive power structures. And eventually young men are going to conclude, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter how I operate in society, I will always be labeled the oppressive class in the left's mindset. And you know what? If that's what the left says that I am and there's no way that I can escape it, then I'm going to be the best oppressor I can possibly be. And that's what we don't want to happen. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I, I, I get the frustration. And and again, I, I think that here's here here's where I will here's where I will give her credit. Because I'm I'm very frustrated. again, I was very frustrated by by the tone throughout all of it, but I also understand that she's coming from a left wing political narrative. She's coming from a left wing philosophical uh, position. And 
at the very least, they're recognizing there's a problem. However, I will say this. Recognizing there's a problem without properly diagnosing the reason for the problem or the source of the problem can actually lead to some pretty bad solutions. Especially if it's the typical solution offered by the left is, well, what we need is more government, more intervention, more control, more programs, more this, more that. Like, no, I I don't think that's what you need. Now, I will say this. When it comes to holding men to a higher standard, I agree that holding men to a high standard is a good thing and a positive thing. I just don't think that's what the left has done. I think the left has actually changed the concept of what the standard is in the first place. And that's actually led to a great deal of a great deal of confusion in many cases and a feeling of despondency, especially when it's the idea that well, men are responsible for all the things that ails, you know, ails us within society. And going back to a point that Peterson likes to make a lot, it's like, well, no, certain men have been responsible for certain things and certain men have been responsible for opposing those men or holding those men at bay or punishing those men or bringing them to justice. And so what it is is that the left seems to have an obsession with categorizing things almost exclusively by group identity. You're not an individual responsible for your own decisions. You're responsible for decisions that were made 100 years before you were born. You fall into a particular category based off of your sex, based off of your sexual preference, based off of your identity, based off of your skin color, based off of your biology, whatever it is. You fall into this particular category, and this is the way you're supposed to think with this in the, within this particular category. Oppressed or oppressor. If you're an oppressor, you better find a way to make it over to the oppressed side. You know what I find interesting and what actually I find very, very explanatory about a lot of this is, is the old Marxist adage that from each according to their ability and to each according to their need. If you organize a society along that trope, here's what ends up happening. You emphasize need and you denigrate ability because ability is there for nothing more than to serve the needs of other people. Now, here's what I will say. I think it's a wonderful thing when people of ability achieve something and then help people in need because we all have needs of some degree. But when you organize society around this idea that need, well, then all of a sudden you get this sort of victim Olympics and identity politics that we currently find ourselves dealing with. And when the only solution to that is more government control or more identity politics or more struggle sessions, well, then I think we do end up focusing on a lot of the things which ultimately divide us even when they don't necessarily need to. And lately... Again, she can make fun of she can make fun of this concept all she wants, this supposed attack on, on traditional masculinity. It's not supposed. It's absolutely true. She admits it so much herself by suggesting that we need to take good aspects of what existed with masculinity and then improve upon it. Okay, I'm willing to listen to what you think that is. What are the good attributes of masculinity? But here's what I come down to, like with all of this, and I and I, I don't think any of this is difficult. From the beginning of time. We've pretty much been able to ascertain that there are certain attributes of masculinity which are positive and certain outworkings which are negative, certain outworkings of femininity that are positive, certain outworkings that are negative. The idea within society is, is to create incentive structures which elevate the positive and tamp down the negative. That's it. But instead, all of this has to be worked into some sort of larger political philosophy which, quite frankly, on the left, constantly casts men in general as being the bad guys, as being the villains. And then when they offer up their idea of masculinity, they assume no responsibility 
for how their particular ideology might have got us to this particular state. It's just this forward forward march toward progress. And okay, yeah, great. We got to stop on the sidelines to pick up all of these men who apparently are upset about women doing better. I got news for you. If men didn't want women to do better within society, you probably wouldn't have. And that's a really unpopular thing to say. But is it untrue? Is it untrue? Before women could vote, who had to vote to give women the vote? Men did. Are, are, are women making up the armies that will keep the bad guys at bay? That's not to say that women don't play important roles within militaries, but historically, has that been the case? Could you do a one-for-one -one exchange for every position within the military and be just fine? Are we supposed to ignore that reality as some sort of social construct or might it have something to do with positive outworkings of male and female roles? Men don't give birth, don't care what the left has to say about it. They don't. Men, generally speaking, don't tend to be as good at educating and nurturing small children, which is arguably, whether, whether or not you're a person of faith or you just believe in evolutionary biology, is arguably one of the most important traits for the propagation of the human species. But instead, we've set that aside and we've treated it as if it's, it, well, yeah, being, being a mother is, is nice and all. And, and raising the future generations, that, that's okay and all. But it's, it's not the same as being an office temp. So look, let, let's, let's, let's focus on certain things in here that we can agree on. I think if you're coming from the right, if you're coming from the left, and, and this is more of a question for the left because, Brian, I'm so glad that you agree with so many aspects of this. I don't think the majority, you can say all day, all day long that you can read your Kipling's poem and say, nobody on the left would find problems with this. Okay. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to say. If, if it's true, though, let's just let's put aside any sort of assumptions I might have or assumptions that other people on the left watching this might have. If it's true that we can agree that men should be, should strive to be more physically capable, more intellectually capable, willing to assume responsibility, willing to develop economic prowess for the purpose of not only meeting their own objectives and goals, but for the purpose of protecting and providing for others in need, whether that be their family, whether it be people within society that lack those capabilities, not just a desire to do it, but genuinely lack the capabilities, then that's a masculinity I think we can agree on and I think that we can work together to develop. We might not agree on every aspect of it, but I will say this much. We are going to have to get to what the source and the root of this problem is because I will tell you this. I do not think, I do not think that left-wing political philosophy is conducive to the sort of masculinity that you're actually talking about developing here. Not as an, especially not in its current form. I think the people that believe on this, whether it's the author of this article, whether it's Reeves, whether it's Galloway, the biggest opposition they're going to get to what we've just described here is not going to come from the right. And so my hope is, my hope is, is that these themes, these limited themes that we've talked about, that we found some common ground on, that these can actually be developed. But I have a feeling that within five years, Scott Galloway is either going to be red-pilled or apologizing for this. Because I just don't see a lot of room for it on the left. But I desperately hope that I am wrong because ultimately what we should be doing is be creating a, the sort of society where men and women understand and appreciate and actually embrace 
that so many of the qualities that we actually, that we possess, generalized, generalized terms. I understand that you can always find women that demonstrate certain masculine uh, traits. You can find men that, that demonstrate certain traits that are more associated with femininity. And that we can actually learn from each other on these. And that there's actually growth that can take place that is positive while still respecting masculine and feminine roles. But ultimately, we're going to have to understand that that relationship is supposed to be complementary and cooperative, not competitive. Because the more I see society insisting that the height of womanhood is to associate themselves with things that may have been previously masculine, not to prevent them from being able to do those things that they so desire, but to, to elevate it above those things which are traditionally associated with femininity. At the same time that I see the left elevating people that are essentially hijacking femininity all the way to the extent that claiming they are something they are not and then inserting themselves into those areas that were meant to give women an opportunity to be able to compete, to be able to grow, to be able to build, to be able to develop and essentially trying to dominate them. I don't think that's a positive manifestation. So let's understand that with both masculinity and femininity, there are good outworkings, there are negative outworkings in both. And everything that we should be fighting for should be driving toward that idea of how do we work together as men and women? Because one thing she does say in here that I completely agree with, in the end, the sexes rise and fall together. Men and women do a whole lot better when we have an appreciation for what each side brings to the table, both as general characteristics as well as the unique capabilities of individual people, not exclusively divined by gender norms. So respect people as individuals. Respect them as men and women. Find the complementary and cooperative ways that we can work together. That's how you're actually going to build a society where people genuinely feel like they have a place and that their contribution is genuinely appreciated. And if we can do that, I think we can get through all the problems that face us today. The question is, does everybody agree that that's what we should do? Once again, thank you very much for joining us. And I'm going to come up with, I know we had one more. We try to read all of the super chats and I think this one is two important. More. We have two more. Yep. So I'm going to read those. Uh, one from Kelly. Um, did you uh, try to remove that one? No, no. I, I was trying to find it as well. All right. I got Kelly's here. Kelly, I've noticed the intro no longer introduces the guys as single. Is there still an opportunity there? If so, what's the plus, best platform to submit my application to the good Hamilton? Keep up the Lord's work, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Applications are being accepted. Yeah, Kelly, I forgot to say, yes, both, both, the, uh, both the guys here are, uh, are single. Um, and they, they are looking for a, uh, they're looking for, for I, strong women. Christian and I only build families with Christian and I only accept applications from members in our community chat. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely not true. That's definitely la not true. Last one from <laughs> professor Keen. I know at this point is that history will cycle around to the point. Women will lose all their freedoms and rights and be reduced back to property of men. I will say right now that... Um, what if Alt has predicted that too? I, I will say right now that I, I think there's... Look, the, the danger the danger is always this, and this is something that, again, I, I think there's a lot of people on the left that don't necessarily like to admit. Um, when, you create, when you create a society which doesn't appreciate the positive attributes of masculinity, you don't get rid of masculinity. 
you just elevate the negative attributes of masculinity, the negative outworkings of those traits, which again are morally neutral in and of themselves, but can be applied to noble purposes or evil purposes. And when there is a, I believe that when there is a, a concerted effort to try to stamp out masculinity or create it to be a caricature of itself or something that doesn't actually appeal to something that I believe that is innate and, and within us, then you're going to get the negative manifestations because it becomes so easy for someone to come along and say, you're the marginalized and we're now going to rally you. And oh, by the way, it turns out that as young men, you have the physical power to impose your will on others. Um, here's, here's the historical reality that people don't want to admit. And this is going to get me in trouble, but I, I think it's something that needs to be considered. <clears throat> if what is really desired is a, is to overthrow the patriarchy for, let's say a matriarchal society. My number one question is why haven't they really existed? I mean, people can always point to one offs here and there, but I mean like a, a true, genuine, powerful regional, global power matriarchy, if you honestly believe that it's never existed, the question you have to ask yourself is why? And part of that, I believe, rests in the fact, because again, the patriarchy didn't ask for permission to set up, even the ones that were brutal patriarchies. And part of the reason for that is because especially young men are generally the ones that fight wars. They have the physical capacity to do it, and once you convince them that it's a worthy cause, whether it be worthy in the moral sense or simply worthy because it'll give them what they want, they do possess the, capable, the capability to physically impose their will. And one of the standards, one of the things that we do hold to in order to try to hold men to a higher standard is to remind them that the power that comes with being able to use your physical strength to impose your will is supposed to come with a moral imperative to stand up for what is right and to defend the innocent. To, to even be willing to do so at great personal risk, sacrifice, and even death. And, and, and if, you can, if you can encourage within men that, that desire for nobility, you can create a society that works incredibly well for both men and women. But I'm telling you right now, you're not going to eradicate that desire for meaning and purpose. You will merely shift it in a direction that you don't want it to go. Yes. And so for those of us, so for those of us that are, are pleading with anyone that will listen, that look, we want men to be the best version of themselves. And we do believe that, that men have natural attributes, which has been, which they have been created with that is going to lead them in, in a particular direction that the positive version of that is not exclusionary toward women. The positive version of that does not try to make women some sort of uh, subservient underclass to men. That is not the goal. That is not the objective, but my gosh, we had better do a much better job of, of recognizing that the role that men play is important. And that quite frankly, throughout human history, there's been a lot of good men that have sacrificed a great deal in order to try to advance society for the benefit of both men and women. But we're going to completely erase that because perfection has never been achieved. Well, I have news for you. You're going to feed men a myth that is going to cause them to embrace something that you don't want to see. So I would ask that regardless of where you stand with on the political spectrum, we should probably stand with all the people that do want men to be able to do better, but it's going to have to understand that there is a, there is a pure and positive manifestation of masculinity, 
which is not going to be supplanted by this leftist version of this androgynous view of the world where you can simply identify as anything that you want. Sorry, it's not going to replace it. So the real question is, is that how do we uplift the best attributes in both femininity and masculinity, again, in order to create the sort of world where both men and women flourish and are able to achieve their objectives, their purpose, and to find meaning in life. Once again, thank you very much for joining all of us. It was a robust conversation, full of ups, full of downs, full of peaks, full some of some dooming, some dooming, but, but a little uh, bit dooming. That, that was a very. I, I want to end with this because I said some really dark stuff um, the last time that I was speaking. But I agree with everything that Nick just said there, and and usually when I say that, it it, it you know it's like Nick kind of gets upset and he's like. Yeah, the podcast shouldn't just be Christian saying, I agree with Nick. I have to say it here because I presented a really negative view of where I think things are going, but that is not an endorsement of that view. I don't I don't want to see, I do not want to see young men becoming radicalized and thinking we need to burn the village to the ground because we can always rebuild the houses. I very much prefer my house to not be burned to the ground. But I, I, underst- I, I said this in the right-wing backlash episode. I won't agree with it, but I understand it. And to some degree, I can sympathize with it. And I'm, I'm begging the left, stop creating these scapegoats. Stop dividing people based on, on race and gender and all these other th- different things. The, the biggest difference between the left and the right is the right believes in hierarchy and the left be- believes in egalitarianism. But nature shows us that hierarchy is inevitable. The question is what type of hierarchy is going to exist? Is it going to be a freely developed meritocratic one or is it going to be a tyrannically imposed you know, cacistocracy, even in left-wing regimes, like in China or, or the Soviet Union, where the left had absolute power, they still created a hierarchy. They didn't create this anarchist, egalitarian society. That does not mean that you, you're a bad person for being sympathetic to the people that are left out or wanting to raise up those that are on the bottom rungs of that hierarchy and make sure that, that they're not being oppressed and that the hierarchy is, is, again, a meritocratic one, not an oppressive one. I can sympathize with that on a conceptual basis. But if your desire to achieve that end state requires you to tear down the hierarchy and create an artificially imposed new one through tyrannical force, all that you're going to do is radicalize the people that are at the top of the hierarchy, not because they gamed the system, but because they're good at what they do. And for you to denigrate them and say that they're bad guys because they were at the top of a meritocracy and stay and say what well, wasn't actually a meritocracy. Instead, it was it was a white supremacist system or it was a patriarchal system. Those people who are not actually racist and not actually misogynist, if they're constantly told you're a racist misogynist, some of them will eventually be like, I guess I am. And if we don't want that to happen and nobody with any conception of morality would ever should ever want to be creating more misogynists or racists then then for the the love of all that is good and true in this world please work with us to to avoid creating this nightmare scenario that i painted because i i i think that that is where we're heading and i nick said the same thing when he said in five years these people are either going to get canceled or they're going to be on the right they're either going to be apologizing or they're going to be speaking at you know turning point or something like that like i we are moving in a direction where, you know, weak times are going to create strong men. And the question is, what type of strong men are they going to be? Are they going to be strong men, political strong men? Or are they going to be strong men in the type that they're going to rebuild civilization and, and society? I, I, I want us to be moving in a positive direction. But I see the dark side of where things are going. 
And I feel like that there's some sort of moral responsibility to at least try to warn us that there's this train wreck coming. And I hope that it's not too late for us to put the brakes on and go on the, on, on the track that isn't going to lead us off a cliff. Well, and, and I, and, and before anybody, again, I, I think, I think that was a really good, I think it was a really good articulation of, of that concept, especially with respect to the, the concept of hierarchy and, and what to do about it. I, I would also say that again, for, for men that are watching this and one and are kind of wondering, you know, next steps on things like that. Um, it, it is so easy to get caught up. And again, things beyond your control. And one of the things that's so frustrating right now is that a lot of people feel like they're being blamed for things that were beyond their control or, or happened before they were born. And so one of the things I, I would say, say to people, and I actually did a short on this a, a while back is, um, I know that a lot, there's a lot of young men that do want to get married that feel like it's becoming more and more difficult and more and more problematic. Um, I'm sure there's other young women that feel that way as well. And w- what I would say is I think one of the most positive things that happened in my life was not just uh, meeting an incredible woman, but the, the idea of going through that, that journey together, I think is an incredibly important. Um, and, and it's and it's certainly not because it's always perfect at times, but I, I will say this. I I hope uh, that I have has been a positive influence to her as she has been to me. Because one of the things that has been so important to me in my marriage has been uh, that idea of not uh, basically trying to be better for someone. Um. And that's, that's manifested there sometimes with, you know, your parents when you're younger and then when your wife, when you get married and trying to be better for your children when, when they're born. Um, assigning for yourself these missions um, that, that are more within your control than, let's say, the, the larger, you know, global condition um, really does a lot exponentially to actually affect the larger things within society that, that we're looking to try to effectively address. So, all right. Once again, thank you very much for uh, joining us. Thank you for your comments. Um, Really appreciate it. Once again, thank you for joining us, and we will see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick. And once again, thank you for listening.